1933. My daddy owns the globe. The whole of America is abuzz with talk of expeditions to the Antarctic. Look at this, Jim. The Adelaide Penguin. So delicate, so fragile, so unique. Hand me the heater jar. Starkweather and Moore lead a group of scientists, engineers and journalists to investigate the ill-fated Miskatonic expedition and try to understand the massive mountains found on the ice. Are these instruments right? RPGMP3.com presents an iconic adventure from Chaosium based on the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. Are you Marcus? Journey Beyond the Mountains of Madness. Click beep. I hate that bitch. Yeah. yeah, dead good with that. Yeah. I'm dead impressed. Right, before we start, we have a care package that arrived yesterday, day before. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll read this. Not me, read it. Yeah. I'll read it. Oh, you take ages if you read it. <laughs> 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 you love boys and woolies. I can read it. <sighs> I'll read it. Apparently, I'll read it. Lindsay doesn't oh, know I'm like working on a Cajun accent for weeks now. <clears throat> Indications for use. This is the letter that came with it. Thank you for choosing a quality international care package. We hope that it will give you many hours of fond reminiscences, sensual gratification and alarming bursts of sugar-fueled hyperactivity. The contents of this care package are not guaranteed to be safe for dogs, however cute. This is row. Some contents may cause bemusement in Americans. The company cannot be held responsible for any time you may lose attempting to explain items in this package. We regret that the logistics of international shipping mean that we no longer send a medium lamb balti, mushroom rice and peshwari naan to overseas addresses. The enclosed items are to be consumed in a morally and biologically responsible manner. Consult your local law enforcement authority in case of confusion. That's from John and Emma and their lovely people. And they sent us a pack of these, which I think in the, the Arctic will be very appropriate. So you may attempt to try a penguin if you can get them off of Lindsay. Try a penguin, David. Look, David has picked up a penguin. Damn it, I was looking for one with hydrogenated vegetable oil. No, no hydrogenated vegetable oil. One and a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Go for it, David. Ned's going to go get a penguin. No, the finger of fudge is mine. There was a great advert on English TV for fudge. There's um, a chocolate wow. bar called The Fudge. It's it is so like a penguin poop? Yeah. Because they're square. <coughs> it looks like a Twix bar. Don't eat, don't eat. Oh my god, my god. It's just gone. It's like inserting a card into a ATM. It's gone. And now it's chewing it up. Oh. Please keep hands and feet away from the intake valve. Dad, I don't want a penguin. Do you like a penguin bar? You can have one, everyone else is still one. Pick, pick up a penguin. John is actually... What's his board name? Why, Jack Why Jack do penguins carry fish in their beaks? Um, because they haven't got any pockets. Memzy. 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 Too late, you already opened it. You need to eat it before January 17th, 09. Yeah. Mm. Penguins last, that's because they've got no hydrogenated vegetable fat. 17, January 9th, 1955. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Can I eat a blue one? Puff up and pick up a penguin. They used to do some great adverts with penguins. Look, you even got a penguin thrown in the wrapper and the trash. They have jokes on them. You have to read the joke out. We just did. What do you call a penguin in desert? Lost. What do penguins have for lunch? Fish. Yeah. Icebergers. <laughs> What's black and white and goes round and round? A nun on a merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> 
Penguin in the revolving door. <laughs> penguin in the blender. <laughs> That's, That's black, white, and red. That's red. Right. And possibly mm. even brown. Penguin omatic. Okay. What's your joke? So, David, what did you think of the penguin, or did you not taste the penguin? <laughs> <laughs> it's the size, isn't it? It's air. Air? How dare you? How dare you eat one? Not enjoy it. Yeah. Mm. Did you tear the joke up? He did, probably. Why do seagulls fly over the sea? They fly over it? the land, we'll shoot them. No, if they flew over bugs. bays, they would be bagels. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were going to call them land gulls. You liked that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to eat it. Oh. It's just that for the record, they've got Benicia. Uh, Take it too long, Ned. What do you uh, call penguins? What do penguins sing on a birthday? Freeze a jolly good fellow. That's terrible. Uh, that is terrible. Ned took you that long to read that. <laughs> he was trying to figure it out. <laughs> who's, who's the director for Hellboy? That guy. Guillermo del Toro or something? Mm-hmm. He's the. Guillermo. 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 Yeah, he's the uh, he's the new director for The Hobbit. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm waiting to see if they cast Ron Perlman as, as uh, Bilbo. Ron Perlman as Bilbo. <laughs> yeah. He'd so be a video of... He'd be a great Bilbo. Harold oh, Bilbo singing go. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> oh, this is Bilbo. He fell down and hit his face on something really hard a lot. And he also was stretched on a rack for about, I don't know, four hours. You're six foot eight. I'm a hobbit. He could be the, he could be the new hobbit, Ugmo. <laughs> Me, Hobbit, you not. Bilbo, a bit of the <laughs> Northlands. <laughs> How's your penguin, sweetie? You're eating a penguin monster. Good old penguin. Here the bones crunching. What else do we get? Poppets, fingers of fudge. Fruit gums, which are on my de- desk because Lindsay doesn't like them. Feel free to have a fruit gum. I don't see a fruit gum. It's Buy right that roll of, things there, next, like roll of things next to the Buddha board and in front of my desk calendar. And next to my bullets, which are also quite nice and from England. Now, 25% fruit juice. Yeah, try them. Per two. Feel free, try them. <coughs> try fruit juice. Give it to Ned. He'll eat anything. Maltesers as well, but you don't get Oh, yeah, there's Maltesers, but you're not allowed those. Even though they make Lindsay's teeth go scratchy. If I suck them. <laughs> <laughs> you love the adverts of Maltesers, too, don't you? So, yeah, we uh, killed Cthulhu. Oh, yeah, Cthulhu lies dead at your feet. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be back in D6 rounds. I, know, I, I believe, um, was it Azeroth, Azeroth had just turned up and gone, YOU FUCKERS! And was about to hit you with his minigun. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, went, no. I did the Matrix. I made my dodge roll. Cthulhu misses. Yeah, Cthulhu never misses. <laughs> I still like D6 the Adventures per round or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, Lindsay's a loon. No, she's just a bit crackers. No, I'm I believe the I believe the exact oh, term oh. was absolutely batshit. Yeah, I am well. not crackers. I am like Graham crackers. I've written down here. I've written down here. Jenna crackers. <laughs> hey, buddy. Okay. <laughs> right. Sure. How are you finding those fruit gums, then? Ed? No artificial colors or flavors. They're hard, aren't they, Ned? I can't eat them because I've worn my teeth up on they're pretty sticky. <laughs> I can't talk down. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the record, I was going to get you the Street Fighter role-playing game, but I was I was told no. <laughs> it would have yeah, been wasted on me. Uh, it tastes pretty good. It's just you can't 
They yeah, have. You're supposed to suck them and let them it, let it, them in. It's kind of sweet. It's kind of similar to the fruit pastels. I figured if you, game, if you were having a bad day, you could force Hal to play the beam ups. Role-playing games are wasted on me. I used to have the card game Brawl, but I don't know where it's gone. It seems to have been lost in the shuffle. Brawl was pretty good because it's a real-time card game. You play cards. Yeah, and you have all different fight teams. Right, kids, as I remember, it is December the 2nd, the morning of, and you've just been woken up by uh, Dr. Professor Ewer and Dr. Meyer from the Germans, who are going to bed, okay. to um, tell you that they found something, and they were waiting for you to finish your breakfast before they were showing it to you and more. Okay, finish eating the penguin and let's go. So Moe finishes his breakfast thoughtfully, puts the choice to you. I'll go, of course, a location of great interest, A. Wonder what he knows. All right, who's in? Good, you're all in. That's brilliant, Jenna. Jenna's She's in. got her camera. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see the crazy damn lens. I'm not crazy. You know. So yes, it's Come mom, on, Jenna. You're not crazy. You're going sane in a crazy world. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, sure good Yeah. Oh, yeah. David got a job today for everyone who wants to know. It's his first job ever. Congratulations to David. Yay! Now we can stop sponging off his mum. <laughs> like I do. And you can see his web broadcasts at, you know. <laughs> I have driving license. Yeah, Lindsay passed a driving test. Yay! No, I'm not showing you the license. Ever. Has the best, uh, sexiest no. nude picture on his driving this is the Texas Department of DPS. We know what the picture looks like because we all have the same picture. Yeah, they're pretty bad. <laughs> no, the top that I was wearing isn't even the same colour from the photo. The colour's ghastly. And <laughs> it seems to have highlighted every... Well, I'm showing you his, you gotta show him yours. That looks exactly like you, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you look like you're about to kill somebody. It looks exactly like you. I'm not showing you mine. You're Go ahead, mine. do it again. My, uni- <laughs> <laughs> My uni photo's the worst. I look like a curious beaver. Somehow my skin is, like, red and blotchy. I don't know how. Because of some reason they used a flash that was, like, ten bazillion lumen for a very yeah. brief second. That's how they check you for weapons. Yeah, they have to through you. I have a really pale, <coughs> like, pale pink top on, and you know, it's coming like, dark. Do you know the reason, don't you? Actually, in the photo they got, you were naked because the light was so bright, and they've had to paint the top back on. You look, you look like an assassin. I need to look. I need to <laughs> So, so far, every driver's license picture you've seen looks like someone's about to kill someone. Ned? So how bad can you Why do you look like in this picture you put a bomb strapped to you? <laughs> and you're about to press a button. <laughs> look like Carlos the Jackal. That's so funny. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> they let him wear glasses. Usually they don't let you wear glasses. They're out in Texas. That's so funny. That's it. I swear to God, I'll push the button. Yeah. <laughs> Take Give the picture. me all the tea. <laughs> <laughs> Take the picture or I press the button. You're going to do it, then. You're asking yourself, did I press the button five times or six? <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, your picture looks like a thumb. <laughs> That's actually, I've heard that before. Come on. not so bad, except for my hair shit. And the, fact that, and the fact that you're like you're about to kill someone. It? <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as this one. Where I look like a curious beaver. You do. Horrible, isn't it? Oh, if I show you, I don't see like anything horrible because I already know. We are allowed to say that you look like you're about to kill There's someone. There's that one where I do look like a terrorist. Mine's not much better. It's in the car. She does look like she's about to kill someone. 
But it doesn't look anything like how I look, though. At yeah. All. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've added about 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Your neck's like... Yeah. Solid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like, it's like, you're like photoshopped onto another body. Well, the only thing that bothers me is the fact that it makes my face look really blotchy and I'm, I don't have a blotchy face yes. at all. And that bothers me quite really? a lot because well, I have to show people that. I mean, it looks like you've got a black oh. eye here. Yeah. yeah. And a really bad case of leprosy or acne. And your, fo- your, your head's been photoshopped onto somebody else's body. What was that, Lindsay? What? <laughs> well, look at her. She's got, like, she's got like a... <laughs> you got a, look, she's got a spotlight on her neck. You didn't notice that there's like, there's like a glowing spot on her neck. <laughs> that is a collection I'm going to turn this off and I'm not going to tell you up to Why? Well, you're oh, telling us how bad the picture is, and we're just describing it. Like, no, like, he's given Ned a load uh, of other pictures of me too. Yeah, but Ned's been looking at them silently. <coughs> Ned likes them. They're good pictures of you. He's smiling. Look at that. I told you I need my hair shot again. You reckon? Pixie crop. Yeah. He looks good. Cool. Like, like, my pen pal was having a bad day, so I took her like half naked pictures of me doing Hamlet with a scroll and a pistol. So. I never want to see those. <laughs> Make sure. Although I'm sure that the second this hits the website, somebody's going to ask to see them. They're on. They're on my Facebook account. <laughs> Kind of looks like you're like ten years old or something. I kind of got like the squirrel out and doing like the the Lawrence Olivier with exactly like you. What's Tina say? Clean your room. I was fifteen when that picture was taken. I'll have you all know. Back in my wallet. That one. That way, when they ask who she is, you can say, she's my girlfriend. That was the or she's my wife. You're from Arkansas, ain't you? <laughs> and that, was the, that must have been about the day I met her. That reminds me of Simpsons. Bart was getting married. Oh, yeah, one of them you were heading rather. He's like, is that one of them you like Trump? Really one. What are you, gay? Was this part of the... Uh, what was it? Oh, pictures? my, my job. Uh, yeah. It was for my passport, in fact. Well, that was only my job. And this one was your uni yeah. ID card, wasn't it? That one. We had these guys I chomped that. That was cool. You looked cute. I had a load of trucks. You still look cute. Yeah, that's good. Everybody falls out and is like, "Clap." There's a bad one. There's a cheap photo. People are loading the truck. Get you some fortune. Including me. Anyway, I'll scan these and put them on the website. Yeah. One. Pictures of little ins from my wall. The only way I voluntarily show this picture ever is if like I have to. Because if somebody asks me for ID, if I'm old enough to drink, I'll just not drink. Or oh, oh, you look like a thumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say, I like. They turn back and you have a thumb mask. I like what, you know, what you have to do is go, like, go to glamour shots and then take the picture and like you know glue it. Tape it on. <laughs> I um, I like your new avatar, by the way. Dear. Oh. Okay. It seems to be everywhere. Very, oh. Yeah, I got bored looking like some old woman. Oh, the wedding thing. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, Lindsay at our wedding. And the wedding thing, yeah, me. That wedding thing. I don't have any more pictures. Am I, oh, I, I, I using yeah, the that's one with me and the pistol learning. or the naked girl with the accordion? The naked girl with the accordion is worrying as a picture, considering you don't even know who she is. No, nope. Smiley, the naked accordion chick. That's who she is. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere so when do we get to see you drive? Ow. Right, I'll let her drive any she likes. Just not with me in the car. She can't. in the car, yeah. He said she could in the car, and she's like, I don't want to. I was there. I don't want to in rush hour, no. I don't think, you know... Why? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> you can drive around my parking lot. I've driven up the two-car line. Not on the freeway. Actually. He's like, what's the problem with driving in rush drive. hour? You're doing five drive. miles an hour. Actually, because I, <laughs> I go to the little mall that way, like around the back. Down Mills Road. Grand. 
Yeah. Grant and then down Mills Road yeah. through. So what, what game are we doing next week since we're all about to go batshit insane or die? I don't know. We'll find out when you go batshit. Right, yes. <coughs> so, sanity crap. <laughs> more, and, more and you, lot, meet Herr Doctor... No, it's Herr Professor Ewer, isn't it? You meet Dr. Mayer at the edge of the old Miskatonic camp. He leads you to the aircraft shelter, the old aircraft shelter, which on your map is the... Have you got your map there? No, uh, no, no. So I've got to find my map. Don't worry. It's we know map. where it is. We've seen them. We've we've memorized the map. <coughs> um, the blob on the right hand side. He takes you to that part of the blob there. All right. Yeah. One of the, the aircraft hangers. Two higgies. No, look at that bit there. That one. Um, A section of ice on its southern edge has been marked with a red-tipped bamboo pole. The ice within the markers has been removed, exposing a stretch of stiff and battered heavy canvas sagging into the interior. Similar cuts have been made into two other mounds, which are the ones south of there as well. So that whole strip, except for the northern one with the wing coming out of it, has been um, excavated by the Germans. One of the large German generators and a pair of ice knives lies nearby. If I am correct, gentlemen, <coughs> the unbroken canvas means that the chamber beneath is still undamaged by snow. Its contents should prove most enlightening. Do you not think? I think. Oh, I think. I think I'm sinking in the snow. <laughs> 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 um, he'll show you the proper use of his electric ice knives if you're interested and how they use them to clear snow away well, they're very good skill. Hey? well if I learn something I don't think you need a skill to use ice knives ice knives are good for dealing with small amounts of ice <clears throat> the Barsmere Falcon Expedition's electric ice knives are simply gadget, are simple gadgets but very convenient. A 10-inch loop of heavy copper tubing is heated almost red-hot by electricity, while a small pump draws off the resulting liquid through a warm tube. A portable derivative of more common industrial tools, these must be connected to a powerful generator. Uh, since each ice knife requires about 800 watts to operate, their convenience and flexibility in close quarters makes them extremely useful in a dig like this one. A team with two ice knives can clear a site in only three hours, half the normal time required. Do not read this part to players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not quite that bad. Okay. Uh, they're not very good for carving large blocks of ice. Um, when they carve it, you find a monster. Do not read. <laughs> a successful idea check from any party member. Heck yeah! We'll make this Easily. one. Eight. Fifty-four. I freaking seven. made it. Oh no, that's good. <laughs> I rolled the seven. You passed. I made it. Oh my god! You passed. All passed. <laughs> you all realize that these knives would have little use in a normal Antarctic party, um, and almost have to have been designed to uncover frozen remains. So they, they're useless for building ice shelters and useless for anything, basically, except for uncovering this so sort of stuff. No, they use axes to make igloos. Oh, really? Or Eskimos. Or big um, serrated blades. Yeah. Basically, they weigh about three pounds, not with the enormous battery. Um, 
and that's about it really. Right, <clears throat> so he t- teaches you how to use the ice knives, if you're interested, yes, and you can help them clear the snow, and he'll help you clear the snow away until the canvas can be removed. With all of you working, it can be done in less than two hours. Uh, Ooh, one hour, 59 minutes. So, the canvas, or, or if you want to, you can cut through the canvas instead. Cut through the canvas. Yeah, okay, you cut through the canvas immediately, uh, revealing a small patch of spattered and stained ice below. Those involved will need a dex times three roll or a successful archaeology roll. Ooh, dex times three. Avoid prematurely shredding the canvas and thereby collapsing several hundred pounds. Thirteen. I got an archaeology of fifty-one. Fine, you're good enough. That's good enough to lead everybody. You manage to guide the expedition with the archaeology you're using. Yeah. Um, and forty-eight. Use appropriate precautions to prevent collapsing the yeah. snow roof down into the space. Everyone, follow me. I was Hold me! <laughs> well, if you're the archaeo- you are the archaeologist, yeah. so... Yeah, cryptozoologist. You managed to do it without collapsing the chamber in on itself. The hangar contains no aircraft. Um, the second you expose it to the air, you are immediately struck by a faint, disagreeable metallic odour. The smell dissipates in a moment, but dogs nearby in the camp whine, howl, and start to become very distressed. Reach for the camp. <laughs> Having used the melters a little bit, the odour is quite strong, and um, it has kind of a distressing charnel tint to it. Um, it fades pretty quickly as the wind whips through the old air inside and whisks it away across the Antarctic. Must have been. The frozen floor of the shelter is covered with huge areas of pink ice, dotted here and there with gobbets of unidentifiable darker substance. Arrayed along the southern wall, neatly separated and displayed, are the remnants of a very messy dissection. storage facility. Penguin storage. There are um, blotches on the ground where it looks like the dissections have occurred and next to those are um, well, organs really. You um, see a number of sled dogs carefully laid out and cut open with their internal organs draped in intricate patterns and rows around the body cavity. Are we outside this chamber or inside? You're just looking in through the yeah. door. You're looking in through the canvas. Investigators viewing this mute horror <sighs> should make sanity rolls. 55. What do you think happened here? It's probably a dead dog. Are you rolling for salmon against the dead dog? Give me a roll. I roll pretty low. It's an 80 something. No, it's low enough. How much? Did you pass or fail? I failed. Sand check, Dad. <laughs> so I suppose I'll make a check Ass. for more, shouldn't I? Oop, more fail. <laughs> what number am I going by? Your what current sanity. Your right. current sanity. Whatever that. Whatever the next number down is. My current sanity is 99. 31. I'm fine. Good. Then you lose D3, Sam. I lose a D6 then, right? Yep. Everyone who fails lose a D6. This is going to suck for all six. <laughs> hey, general one! one. Woo. Okay. I rolled a six! You Lose three. I rolled a six! <laughs> you? 
And I got a three. Nope. Knock them off, kids. Right. Okay. Awesome. Did anyone lose? <laughs> I'm down to 78 now. I'm at 18. Ooh, I'm 60 <laughs> higher than you are. That's really scary. Well, have all the sanity gone. I don't know, but it sounds like... Uh, Here we go. <coughs> David's eating it all. Yeah. All right. Can I loan him 10 of my did sanity? Any, did anyone <laughs> lose five or more sand points in a single roll? Thank you, David. <laughs> Anybody ever seen the thing? Because I think about we're about to see a recreation of You're that, a though. German. <laughs> <laughs> You're not in def- Did anyone lose twenty percent of their current sanity? What did you lose, David? I went from twenty-four. I lost six. That's twenty-five percent. <laughs> so actually, David, you don't go temporarily insane. You go indefinitely insane. <laughs> you rolled one and had twenty, so you're okay. I can't remember what twenty percent is. Twenty percent of twenty isn't a lot. Four. <laughs> yeah. Four. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, now I'm the Hulk. I'm like, okay, oh. David. <laughs> the impact of the event calls to mind visions of your past job um, fighting in the wars. You were in World War Two, did we say? World War One. You were in World, World War Two. Yeah, World War One. <laughs> yeah, Hitler's still considered a promising corporal at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you have flashbacks to your time in the trenches. And it was very, very bad. And there were lots of corpses and badness. And you may have flashbacks all you like from this point forward. For D6 game months, in fact. Alright, will we roll that? You don't need to roll, I'll roll. Yeah, six game months. (laughs) So you can have flashbacks. So you may have flashbacks all you like in character from this point forward. And in fact, you're having one right now. Looks like you're looking into one of those foxholes that were part of the trenches. You know, like the bunkers, mm-hmm. and there's just corpses of your dead comrades inside. Okay, so I'm, am I in it, or...? No, you're looking in. It's like you just arrived, you're looking in, and there's these people with you. Oh my god, you see that? That's brave, man. Defending our freedom. Mo takes a step backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what your name is. It's Fred. It's Fredo Baggins, remember? (laughs) We need to bury them immediately. Okay, you do that. Get the tags. I'll get the tags you bury. Are you alright? You seem to be... No. Not alright. 50 of our men just died. There are no men here. Yes, they're right there. That some horrible, horrible man has made art out of, which is very sad. And I can understand why you're upset, but they are, after all... Dirty German bastards. dogs. They did this. Maybe they didn't. Continue carving. They showed us. <laughs> you get through. Make me a spot hidden. They did it. The Germans idea. are over there. No, yeah. they're over there. That's why we were going this way. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Two. Why don't you have a little sit down for a moment? What? What is wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have your gun. I don't give a crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. Uh, Herr, Herr Doctor, I think your friend has um. Gone snow crazy. Uh-huh. We got bulletproofs. <laughs> <laughs> um, may- maybe we should just keep go him and have talking, a Doctor. Just keep a little bit longer. <laughs> we got the drink right <laughs> here. I'll grab I've got the Samuel Walker brand knockout. No, we need to get that German. He killed him. <laughs> he's not German. He's Austrian. 
has an M at the end. <laughs> so does Nigerians, but we didn't fight so them. So does American. <laughs> Australian, Ethiopian, there South many American, people Canadian. Have, uh, they're all against us. Why, why don't we go and have a little sit down? Because we have to get him for killing a man. Yeah, but it's your lunch break now. There was no lunch break. There are. No, there's not. There is lunch break. Quick, what time is it? Not that time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, if you haven't already checked spot hidden, you can have it. Maybe we should just go and... I think everybody's got spot hidden check, because that's the one we have to roll the most. Yeah. But you also don't really want to see half this. Oh. I'm yeah. trying, he's not coming. I'm waiting Professor, here. Professor Moore looks at you. Um, Fred, um, I think uh, I need some help over here, please. We gotta, we got to get the tags first. Yes, we'll go and deal with that, but we need to go find um, shovels and... Um, the chaplain. Uh, yes, and the chaplain and yes. some body bags for these, yeah. these brave men. All right, I'll help Why don't you come back. with me over here? Um, it's in this tent over here with the red cross on the front of it. This way, all right, all right. He, he leads you off towards me. Thank you! Don't even be bopping my bodyguard, or you're going to have to replace him. Uh, I have a feeling another another couple of sand checks will be replacing himself. <laughs> right, Ned, while they're dealing with Ip, going mildly crazy, you um, spot... There's no actual dog corpses in here. There's parts of dogs, but no, there's not the entirety of them, if that makes sense. There's like their organs and the splodge where the dog used to be but you suspect their bodies were moved over to the dog corral right. you found. Um, the space where each dog corpse once lay is surrounded by an uneven circle of whiter ice on the floor. This circle varies in width, but is usually about three inches wide. Really? Mm. Nine other such rings are noted as well, scattered around the floor, each with a pattern of pink flowing from the centre. Um, and each about the right size for a man. I'm confused, I can't picture this at all. You've got like a big hanger, okay. and in there there's been lots of dissection. Yeah, i got the splodges of pink being where things are done. I and there's organs and there's bits of the muscle. the size of a man. Well, there's dog-sized okay. splodges, and then there's slightly bigger splodges. Yes, but you said white, you didn't say anything about they were pink. No, there are white bits around it. You know, okay. I still don't really get it. We'll get that. You want to do an analysis with chemistry? No, I want you to tell me what you're describing better. Well, that's what I've got as a description at this point. I got, well, I got decent chemistry, but... Okay. If you examine these rings, you find small tissue and flesh fragments at the centre of each ring, as if something fleshy had frozen to the ice and later been torn away. Someone made a bet. And lost. Wait a minute, there's, there's ten rings... How many dead guys did we have? There was like ten fucked up and one not fucked up. Yeah, pretty much. There's like there was eleven bodies. Yeah, but there was that one guy that could have slipped on the ice. Yeah, there was some. There were some that were very much dissected and some that weren't. Some of these rings are dogs and not people. You don't think? Okay. I'm not making you make the sound check for realizing that some of the right size, the right size for a man, because that's just stupid. You know that people have died here. Yeah. That. That's because we made the check earlier when we found the dead guys. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be carving the skins out. Yeah. Not really much skin there. Scrapes and chips on the floor as from ice cleats. Um, what? May I reveal to insightful viewers that this grisly scene has been viewed before. Somebody's been here after 
it all occurred. He suspect it was probably Dyer's party, the rescue party that came up to Lake's camp. Mm-hmm. And that they then buried the men that were dissected in this tent in the cairn. Okay. And probably moved the dogs to the dog corral. And left all the organs. Well, you don't want to be bottling up. They'd have been frozen to the ice. Okay. I'm just checking, yeah. I don't understand any of the last bit of description. To Looks it. like there's been a lot of dissection in this yeah, hangar. I get that. I don't get Apparently the they... Rings. They... They stuck. Uh, looks like they stuck the guys naked on the ice where they were frozen to it. And then the the rescue party arrived. Went crap! Look at all the dead people. Picked them up, wrapped them in tarpaulins, and buried them. Yeah, I get that bit as well. Um, more pulling them up from the ice left mark. <laughs> I can't explain what I don't get to it, matter. Okay. Just... I was trying to talk to her. That I was trying trying not to explain to her much. She's not got much sand left. Let's <laughs> not explain. Um, dear Lord, Mo cries. I don't think he had anything to do with this. No. Um, Maya at his side seems both concerned and gratified. He starts looking around the cleared chamber and nods in satisfaction and then turns to Mo. Herr Professor, I have uh, information I think you should see. It may help you understand what is here. Will you uh, leave the excavation to your men and join me in my quarters for a short time? Mo nods, after a moment, asks you lot to carry on without him, and follows Maya towards the German camp. I'm going to go get my gun. <laughs> okay. I have my pistol. With I'm going to follow Mo. Okay. He goes into Maya's tent. I'm going to sit outside with me. Okay. They don't really have much of a conversation. It's about something, perhaps you should look at this. Um, essentially, it's in German. I take my pencil and poke a hole in the tent. Um, after maybe three or four minutes, Moore leaves the tent carrying a small parcel under his arm and heads back to his own tent. Nods to you. I was hidden. Oh, okay. Doesn't nod to you. You're eating a bone, dog. I'm an eldest king. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, sorry, sweet. Kiss my wristboard. Yeah. Um, Moore then... Sits down and read. See him go in and sit down. So, the rest of you are expected to return to excavating and examining the caves. Casey Lexington and her film crew do not help with any excavations this morning. Instead, the bell is readied for takeoff. Lexington, Priestley, Donovan, and Williams make a short flight in the Delta along the face of the Miskatonic Mountains, starting at 7:30 a.m. to get the best sun shining on the faces. They stay below 18,000 feet during this flight and expose many feet of fl- film. 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 It's the, it's, it's the next hot noodle. Film. Yeah. Uh, midway through the flight, has the bell, blah, blah, switches oxygen, yada, yada. Nobody's on the bell, so they don't know whether he's switching on to oxygen. Bah. Bell lands at Lake's camp again about 9.30 a.m. Everybody's dead, aren't they? Hmm? Everybody's dead, aren't they? Everybody gets landed on autopilot. Lexington jumps out of her plane, openly furious, storms across the camp to, towards Moe's tent. She's a German attack, but snap her neck. Priestley trails behind helplessly. You all see you're this. Probably duct tape. As you're doing your various right photographs <laughs> and excavations. I and probably helped. Where's Moe? That way. Right. Charges off towards him. Tried to kill me. 
I thought you meant dinty more, the soup's that oh. Lexigan heads to his tent and yeah. demands to see Mo. Mo does not wish to be disturbed, but um, he speaks to her distractedly, apologises for... Uh, yells at him and says that the oxygen that she'd used at high altitude was tainted and had um, a horrible taste and was virtually unbreathable. What kind of taste? Like motor fuel, a bad smell. It was not pure. Hmm. Stark weather bought it in Melbourne, if you recall. Hmm. Um, Moore apologises and um, ensures that he'll test the rest of the oxygen. Oh, so it was that crazy guy that we pistol with two way straight. And uh, maybe. Yeah. And um, returns to doing whatever he was doing. Acacia then seeks out Maya. He heads off to his tent. A few minutes after 10am, the two Junker aircraft that departed the day before return from the South Pole, heavily laden, and proceed to unload 18 drums of fuel. You lot are busy digging up stuff and taking photos and looking in the caves and doing whatever you lot are doing. Can't see if this place has got a psychiatrist. Yeah, there isn't one. You, Mr. Ape, are mildly sedated uh, while the doctor checks you out. Um, he doesn't knock you unconscious, he just sort of makes you drowsy. And um, he eventually comes to the conclusion that you've gone snow crazy and that you should definitely take a good strong nip of brandy and that'll right, uh, that, that'll set you up right. And then he kicks you on out, though. Here you go. Physically, you're fine, so get back to work. Just get drunk and, you know, stand guard. I take his bullets. I take <laughs> Replace them with blacks, replace them with blacks. Yeah. Well, while he's there, we can take the bullet. So I am no longer having a flashback. There. Could be. Oh, what is it? No, you can still have flashbacks all you like. You now fade in and out of flashback. Right. When something would kind of trigger a flashback, you have a flashback. Alright. Alright, there, Rob. Right now would not be one of those. Charming noise, there, Rob. Love it. Hmm? Right now would not be one of those times. Yeah, it's, if, if everything's calm, generally you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But under times of stress, you'll it will trigger a flashback. Well, I'm mildly sedated too, so yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm calm. Yeah, you're high end wrong. He's also yeah. given you a hip flask with brandy in it. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Share the love. Share the love of brandy. Where's brandy? Why? They're not wine gums. They're fruit gums. She was oh. a girl I knew a long time ago. No, they're not wine gums. She could do things with a garden hose that I didn't think was possible. God, I wish she was. Are you Glenn or not Glenn? He asked me who Brandy was. He said, give me the Brandy. That's funny. If I was Glenn, her name wouldn't be Brandy. I would have been Lori. I had to ask him that. Don't worry, not far to go. Yeah. You think we'll get it finished today? Yeah, you might. By the way, I do have a. I do have my friend Lori is coming into town. She's part of a roller derby team. If anybody like to go with me, I would, you know. What is a roller derby? We're not really sure, but it involves women roller skating and knocking each other loopy. I see lots of people on my craft board making roller derby. So is it like roller ball without the ball and the motorcycle? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's a. Yeah, she actually plays for the Austin uh, Texecutioners, and it's an actual touring team. 
That's and Ned so Darty knows what I'm talking about. Um, they have a. They Are you have, a roly derby girl? No. No, he's he's a wise spectator <laughs> with his wise beard. But on the 18th, she's coming in for a game. You need to grow it down like Fu Manchu styling. Her her team name is Morphine. So funny. So it's like the gladiators on roller skates without something the, like that. Yeah. Without the ball and without the motorcycle. Yeah. And the James Cowan version, not the crappy remake. Right, not the Gene Reno. Hey, I'm doing this because I accidentally signed the contract because I was, you know, never signed any contract at one of Grace Slick's party. Right. About noon, Moore emerges from his tent and starts to wander the camp. You're probably wandering under photographs, are you? You make me a psychology check. Oh, I have that at 5%. Psychology. Mm-hmm. I fail. Okay. You watch him wander around. You take, you take your photo. You watch him. He wanders around kind of in a daze, and he kind of be, he walks over to the places that have been excavated and looks at them. He's carrying the parcel under his arm. He wanders across to um, the big hangar and has a look in there, and he just seems to be shaking his head. If you can make me a listen check. I'm pretty sure I failed. Okay. On an eight. But, but I'll check. No, I failed. 41. Uh, what? Listen. Is that everybody? Nope. 40, no. He, uh, he failed to. Okay. He seems to be muttering to himself as he's walking around. I'll try and catch up to him. Okay. Yeah. Are you alright, Professor Moore? That looks like you. Shakes his head. What's in that parcel that you got? It's impossible, Jenna. And he kind of straightens himself, uh, looks around, and then um, nods to you and walks off towards the radio tent as it's time for his noon broadcast. I don't listen in. Okay. I'm a nosy person. Casey Lexington is already inside concluding her transmission. What's she talking to in this time? French? No, she's talking you're speaking English. Oh. We spent several hours following the mountains. Words scarcely do them justice. Several hours? You're only up there too. Oh, yeah. The glorious peaks of this trans... Trans-Antarctic range stretch forever, dark against the white sky, impossibly high and massive. Who knows what unknown territories and inspiring scenes lie beyond. In a few days I shall see them for myself, and you will all share in my discoveries. The epitaph on Lake's memorial erected by the Miskatonic Rescue Party reads, We have opened the door to a new world, and none now can say what we shall find. Ladies and gentlemen, it is true. We stand on the brink of that open door, and soon... I shall bring you the news of what lies beyond. This is a Casey Lexington, signing off for now. I'll transmit again in a few hours. Don't read the number out, David. I'm not Doesn't sure. say. Just check in. <laughs> we don't want you to make that mistake again. Because I had to edit that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, David. It is a uh, one. Oi! <laughs> you have a call from a, te- a uh, inmate in Harris County Jail. <laughs> okay. You. Probably your dad. Hmm. No, she grins at everyone as she exits with a flourish, passing the microphone over to Mo, who has been looking increasingly alarmed during her speech. He stumbles through a few words and stops. I... I have nothing to report just now, he says. I'll transmit later, after I've had a chance to um, review the night's reports. Everyone is well. We'll uh, transmit again this evening. We're more out. He shuts down the transmitter, shakes his head, heads towards his tent. Where does the case Jenna, come with me. Oh, okay. Get the others. Um, that crypto, whatever the hell he is, and 
Is Ape okay? Yes, it's fine. Okay, bring him and Tracy. Okay, I'll go all self-implanted. We're requested to go to Professor Moore. I'll make... He says it's quite urgent. Grab my notes and start over as fast as I can. Pretty good. <coughs> Are you all right, Fred? I'm good. Seriously, I Are did take recovered? his bullets. <laughs> you didn't, you can't. And replace them with marshmallows. You can't, I bolts hidden everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> He's got 52 bandoliers. While he was sleeping, I was sitting there, sitting over him with a, with a rare earth man. Aren't they made out of blood? Aren't you, bam? No, but the casings are uh, the casings are really made out of iron. Or brass. Yeah. Or silver. Only for werewolves, dear. Or the Lone Ranger. Yes, <coughs> you go into Mo's tent. Sit down, please. It's quite small, but there's room for you to sit on his bed. He's sat in a chair by a desk. I'll move the Picasso around. Um, I have learned something fantastic. I do not know whether or not to believe it. I no longer trust myself. It seems impossible, but answers a number of questions that have plagued me for some time. He reaches on the desk and pulls out a parcel, which he unwraps, and exposes... A leather-bound book. Um, this is an account written by my one-time friend William Dyer. He writes about the 1930 expedition, about finding the bodies of the murdered men, and about um, other things. Fantastic things, I don't want to say too much until you've read it for yourselves. Judge it with unbiased eyes, so to speak. Um, I would like you to look over this account for yourselves. Tell me whether you think it is genuine... Tell me if it was written by a madman or by one who was sane. It's Dyer's work. I've read his papers too often to mistake the style, but... Look the book over. Talk to me at five o'clock after you've read it through. Just now, I, uh, I have to think about things. He um, puts up his hood and exits the tent and walks west towards the burial cairn. Where, oh, he's, let's rob where him. he stands unmoving. For let's rob his tent. And he's left the book. I'll take the book. I'm, I'm probably the most qualified to read it. <coughs> Anyone can read it. It's I know, quite though. small. It's quite a short book. But I've also got the occult and the cryptozoology. The diatext. I'm yeah. already insane. Yeah. Are you going to read it? No, no. You went temporarily. I'll try not to read it out loud. With a large manuscript to read and time on your hands, reading through the work in its entirety requires several hours for one man. Okay. So let's yeah, read it together read it. so that we can... You can read it together if you wish. You can sort of read a page because it's loose-leafed. Yeah. You pass it round as you read. So well, you can you all read together. Who reads fastest and then they can summarise? <laughs> yeah. I well, or you can all read it, which would be yeah. for... Who, I, I, I'll probably read it and pass on any information to him. <coughs> okay. <laughs> because you, you need all those little precious little sanity points you've got. What do you got? What are you at? 18 now? Yes, but none of you know that I'm insane. I've, I seem perfectly normal now. Yeah, she does. She seems, in fact, I more, seem more, more normal insane. than most people now. Right. You, you're creepy sane. That means you're insane. Yeah, you're creepy sane, yeah. You're edging close to zero. You're like Wednesday Adams sane, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's sane. That's so funny. Okay, um, technically, we have the diatext. It's in my room. Your room? Uh, the room. The bedroom on my, my side of the bed, I believe. Ruby, go get it. Ruby, fetch the, my fetch side the game prop. The bed. Fetch the game prop, Rubes. Um, that's a madness novel. The novel? Mm. Actually, the that's the diatext. The novel is right there. Yeah, that is the diatext. Uh, the oh, is, 
Right there. Is it up there? Say, oh yeah, it's there. It's underneath, <laughs> it's underneath Geomancer and above the physics of superheroes and origami with dollar bills. Would you like me to scratch your back and, and like pat your head as well while I do all these other Fluff things? Fluff my knob if you like to. <coughs> right. Technically, you have approximately that many pages to read. Okay. It's this. That's the dire text. <coughs> this is the dire text. Okay. It is the book At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. It's okay. written from the point of view of Miss Dyer, and it's where this whole deal comes from. Thankfully, I have a summary, so you don't have to read 109 pages of the novel. Thank Although, you. if you want to, you can. Well, it took me ages to read that. It's pretty heavy. I'm, I'm really fast reader, and I tend to skim read. Lovecraft writes read in a rather flowery fashion, but it's not necessarily bad. That's why he's got a role playing game. I kept reading like a page and a half and then falling asleep, and that never happens to me. Except for when I read to you, dear. Except for when you read to me, bore me to death. So, and then he grabbed her supple ch- Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if Hal read me that in bed, then I would stay awake a lot later. <laughs> I love this bit. Every keeper should own and read a copy before playing this scenario. He or she may now give the novelette to the players to read. For keepers who do not wish to break their session for the reading of the novel, here is a synopsis of the text. thing we're not playing Beyond War and Peace. <laughs> would, you like, would you like to read the novel, or would you like to just... Summarise it for you. Skip a bit, brother. <coughs> okay. Dyer's text and historical accounts agree substantially up to a point where the rescue party lands at Lake's camp. In this account, however, the party finds the camp in great disarray. Much of it, uh, much as it is, uh, was found by you, lot, but with the cruelly murdered bodies of dogs and men still scattered around the camp or arrayed in the hangar in hideous display. That the party was murdered was never in any doubt. The identity of the murderer was uncertain, most likely given at being Gedney, the missing student. Dyer and Danforth flew several flights over the area in search of Gedney, but found nothing. They had, light- they had lightened a single plane and flew over the mountains through the nearest pass. On the far side of the range they found not a barren plateau, but the incredibly ancient remains of an immense city, uninhabitable for geologic for ge, uninhabitable for geologic epochs. They landed and walked through the city's near edge, sketching and taking many photos. The city is barren now, but contains untold murals, frescoes, and other non-portable artifacts, which reveal its age and the extreme civilization of its now vanished builders. Dyer maintains that this city was built not by men, but by creatures similar in appearance to Professor Lake's old ones or elder ones, and that the murders were done not by Gedney, but by the eight perfect specimens removed from the cave by Lake's party. These, it seems, were not dead, but somehow hibernating. Awakened, they slew their rescuers and fled over the mountains to their city home. The city is built atop the plateau, but deep underneath the plateau is a great sunless sea, which may be reached by long tunnels slanting down from the surface. There, according to Dyer, the city's builders took their final refuge. Their descendants may still remain there. However, in a foray into one such tunnel, the two men were set upon by a huge and monstrous predator, descended from the ancient slaves of the city builders, now apparently free to roam at will. The, man escaped, the men escaped through good luck, 
but the shock of the meeting was one of the things that caused Danforth's breakdown. Dyer and Danforth found the bodies of four of the returned Elder Ones in the downward sloping tunnel, apparently slain by the Predator. He concludes that the rest were most likely perished as well, while seeking others of their kind. He found Gedney's body too, preserved and, and carried as and carried as if for a later examination. After examining the city for several hours and being chased by these predators, Danforth and Dyer conclude that the existence of the Elder Ones and their city is something that should be kept from the world, lest they lose horrors that cannot be controlled. Their pledge to keep the secret and persuade the others in the rescue party to stay silent about what is known as well. Only the advent of the Stark with a Moor expedition, with its avowed intent of exploring the high plateau, has forced him to break his silence in the hopes of warning them away. Although Dyer speaks of a great many photos and samples which originally accompanied the work, they are not provided with the manuscript. The book can read end to end in about three hours by a fast reader. A, slow, uh, a slower reading with more um, attention to detail requires as much as a day or two. You read it through in a few hours? Yeah, then I'll, I'll keep on reading it. Groovy! Okay. The Diatext, published in 1936 as At the Mountains of Madness, in English, typed on bond paper, 110 pages by Professor William Dyer, tells the story of the Miskatonic University Antarctic Expedition and their encounters with the Elder Things. Confers 1% Cthulhu Mythos. Costs you 1d3 sanity. <laughs> Two sanity... And I now have... Woohoo! 1% Cthulhu Mythos. All right! I'm like three times as many as I do. That means my maximum sanity is now 98. Yep. You have Cthulhu Mythos. No spells. Well, yeah, I kind of figured that. Where's Mythos lore? It's Cthulhu Mythos, isn't it? Is it Mythos lore? It's Cthulhu Mythos. Cthulhu Mythos. Oh, right here. One! Ha, 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 ha. 1% Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah. Okay. So, there you go. You read that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't tell her anything about it. <laughs> well, you should sit in the room while you're talking. Yeah, but I won't. You know, like, I'll try to use flowery words. Okay. And there are these predators. Um, I'm sorry, right? I'm the one that sat there being quite sane. He's the one that's <laughs> muttering about those damn Germans, and it's me that you're trying to protect. I think you need to be a little bit more worried about him. Bitch, they meant He's the one that shoots people. Not for another 15 years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1933, the war doesn't start for 12 years. Right. They have, you were, you're, thinking, you're thinking of the Alice's. Are you waiting to discuss this with Mo? Thinking of everything. Yes. Five o'clock, Mo returns. Shortly before dinner, he calls you in. Considerably we're recovered. Already... Oh, yeah, he walks Everybody in come in day. here! Oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> Considerably recovered from his shock earlier, Mo wants your opinions and your thoughts on its meaning. Um, They're clearly insane. Let's get the fuck out of here. What? They probably were snow blind and we should go over those mountains and dehydrated and they probably There's had stuff a hallucination. I agree. I think it's probably true. But to they be probably honest, didn't even fly anywhere. They probably sat in there, the There is only one one way to prove or disprove what what that book says, and it's to fly over the pass in search of this ancient city. You didn't want much conversation, did you? Yeah. You just took my opinion. Well, you see, um, Canada. 
you know, every cryptozoologist in the world, which is me and about three other guys, exists to answer one question. What the fuck was that? And I'm willing to take this guy's word for it. shocking language to use in front of a lady. I'm willing to take a guy's word for it. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty clear on what it was. <laughs> you know. speak like that in front of me. That's shocking language. If you want, I can turn around. A little more decorum in front of the lady, I think. Yes. Okay. What I'm suggesting is that we fly over the mountains and have a look to see if the city is there. I agree. What we need to know is who you think should accompany us. I suspect you for uh, what equipment we should take. Um, How much, if anything, should we tell Starkweather? Should Miss Lexington be shown the manuscript? No. No. Can the Germans be trusted? No. 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 Never. What else might they know? Nothing. A lot. That they do not wish to share. A lot. Everything. Yes. Um, the Miskatonic Rescue Party covered up the truth. Uh, should we do the same? How did the Germans get hold of this manuscript, did they say? No. Did you ask? Yes. And they said? It came into his hands via some book dealer. He's a collector of antiquities. Mm. Uh, Never trust anybody that's No, with I don't believe him, but, well, what can you do? Um, or in the books. What about Lexington's people? What about the Germans? And they were trusted not to tell the world. I think the less people that know about this, the better. Well, there's nothing to know. It's just a great big mass hallucination. We'll send in Lexington's crew and the Germans. If they don't come back, the book's right. I actually quite like that idea. <laughs> but can we trust them if they do come back to say that there's nothing there? No, because no. they're German. Yeah, if they, come, if they come back and if there's something there, they're not coming back. If there's nothing there, they're <laughs> going to come back and say there's nothing there. It's simple. It's foolproof. She's a hooah. She's a hooah. I still won't believe them. The only way to be sure is for us to go and disprove this theory, and then if we disprove it, then it doesn't matter what they say to anybody, because we clearly know it's false, and our word will be believed more than theirs, because the Casey Lexington is a slut. And crazy. And associated with Germans. She does associate with Germans. Ruby, what are you doing? Uh, pulling down the... (laughs) (laughs) Are you trying to cover the diet? That's an almighty bruise on your arm. Yeah. That one up there. How did you do that? I don't know. David? Hoist it at Home Depot. Hoist it like lumber about all day. It's not nice to beat your mother up. Ruby, stop trying to kill the the fairy blanket. (laughs) (laughs) You're a bitter, at least put the bruises somewhere you can't see. What do you think? I suggest we we should um, fly over as soon as possible. Yes, Uh, I agree. We're all going back. I'll prep the... We're not going to die. We're going to take a small pleasure trip in the plane... See, there's nothing to see. Come back and burn this silly book. I'd like you to co-pilot one of the planes, Mr. Um, Mr. Watkins. We'll obviously be taking um, the other pilots and another co-pilot, but you should fly one of the seats. Most definitely. Okay. I can fly. Yeah. All right. I'll get them prepped. Cool. If you need me, I'll be in my tent writing my last will and testament. I'll be in my book. I'm loading my gun. Here, use some of these bullets. I've got, I know exactly what you're taking across the mountains because it tells me right here. And we don't have to bloody check it, do we? No. What you can take is, in the Weedle, there will be one empty Boeing model, the Weedle, one empty Boeing model 247 plane. There'll be six crew and passengers. So that'll be Douglas Halperin, the pilot, him, the co-pilot, Mo, plus... That's three. You three. That's you in the Weedle. And then the Enderby will carry Ralph DeWitt, 
Patrick Miles, Starkweather, and the Doctor. I thought we were going to take Starkweather. Stark if you're going over onto Plateau, Starkweather's going to go. You're not okay. going to tell him what's there. Gotcha. Because then he'll so. go on the radio and tell people. Uh, you're taking 24 gallons of engine lube oil in the engine, 556 gallons of aviation fuel, uh, one canvas bag with aeroplane repair tools, one drum of 23 gallons of engine lube oil, one set navigational equipment, one blowtorch, two canvas tarpaulins with grommets and six poles. No, thank you. 24 person days of worth of food, two canvas and goose down sleeping bags, six sets of snowshoes, one Nansen sledding cooker and primer stove, one gallon of fuel can of kerosene, 40 person days for the stove, one trail radio, one radio battery, one inch flare pistol with ten flares, one electric Mars signal lamp, one still camera set, one real 300 foot climbing rope, two bags of climbing equipment, one set meteorology equipment, one set cartography geology equipment, one set chemistry sampling and testing equipment, one medical bag, one sled with hauling harness, one oxygen snow tent, two man with poles, two sodium hydroxide canisters, uh, and 20 oxygen tanks. That's in the Weedle. And a gun. <coughs> in the, you can take your personal weapons if you wish. In the Enderby, you have similar stuff. You have the Geiger counters. And we travel light, don't we? No, you don't travel light. So, what do you think? Do we need to talk to Lexington about this? She's going to go over those mountains. Yes, but we'll be over first. Well, we got one room for one more on our plane. I think the race is on, to be honest. We have room for two in the Enderby if we're taking as we speak. She'll get off early. To be honest, she'll probably fly over in hers. I know she's already offered the Germans some seats in her plan. Well, then they can successfully manage without us. They don't need our help. Well, her and the Germans are going to go over. Um, so... It's fine. I can take them out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a rifle. I can bet you I can peg the pilot. That'd be awesome. Bodacious. I can clip your wing with the propeller and cut it in half. <laughs> 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 that, <laughs> that, that doesn't work in real life. <laughs> Somebody we know was, got, was driving a plane, um, flying a plane, and a bird hit it and broke the wing off. Uh-huh. And they still managed to land. Because birds are mm. like, thick like that. <laughs> Apparently it was one of those big turkey buzzard things. <laughs> I think it was bigger than the plane. What is that shiny thing? Oh my god, what's that? <laughs> Apparently he felt it hit the plane and then kind of landed the plane because he was halfway down anyway. And when he landed, apparently the whole the wing that had been hit had accordioned in. The metal had just like folded. There was like dead bird everywhere. So yeah, we're getting the planes, we fly over, we're done. So are you telling Lexington? No! Okay. Are you telling Starkweather? No. Well, you said he was already on a plane and we couldn't keep it from him. So we the more sanity he gets to hold on to, well, the longer he'll last. Why give us the option? Are you going to tell him? We no. were paid well, in advance, anyway. weren't we? We're psychic. Clearly. Well, no, he's we were paid in advance. He knows we? we're going over because we are taking the planes. We're not looking to sound about it. But he doesn't know what we're going over for. If you ask me one more time, I'll kill you. We can't sneak a plane. Sorry. We can sneak a plane. No, we can't. Not in a camp that small. Yes, we can. We'll just it, gas everybody else. It'll echo at night. Yeah, but by the time we've started it, then everyone else will be too slow. They'll have to put on all their snowshoes and fur coats. It's true. So by the time when they get dressed, we'll be start pushing it. 
<laughs> okay, I gotta jump in. Yeah. Ooh, after this we can play Monkey Ducks World of Darkness. Just hang on to the slap. It was on my wish list for Christmas. Uh, Ooh, Penguin, let me down. What was next? The you know the pictorial, the Marquis de Sade. Hey, it's not so bad. Uh, actually, to be honest, it's crap compared to actual World of Darkness. <laughs> but it was it, it makes an interesting read. Yeah, so does uh, Dangerous Journeys, and uh, you know that one's unplayable too. Hell, I used to have a copy. Is that a hint for me to go and get you some more duck pepper? No, it's a statement. Yeah. It's more, more like a pantomime. I'll be back. Okay. Discuss some stuff. Can you, can you get me one too, please? Yes, sir. Okay. Can oh, you eat my penguin? Should you eat my duck pepper? Well, I'll kick you out. Die. <laughs> okay, so here's the plan. Fly the plane. They fly the plane too. We say, hey, land your plane. They'll probably say, no, we Zerman, no. And then we, like, run away. Weezer man? Who the hell is Weezer man? The guy flying the plane. Duh. And you take him out I'll of the sky. Okay. Here's an idea. We'll give you a knife. We'll tell them to order. We'll, tell, we'll, we'll order the plane to stop. They won't. Mm-hmm. We'll have you jump from our plane, stab their plane to death, and then jump from their plane back to our plane after you've killed the plane. And just, I'll call it the Brock Samson. Right. <laughs> and just to make it look more impressive, as soon as you jump out of the plane to get on their plane, we're going to peel away so it looks even more impressive as you jump okay, back great. to our stop plane. Back, You're plotting. My God. Yes. Pass both of them. No, yeah. oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, we. Right? Well, oh, have a fudge. Cadbury fudge. Yeah, yeah. but was fifteen p. Was a finger of fudge is just enough to give your kid a treat. Yeah, is that right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and it was the. There was a little song. A finger of fudge is just enough to give your kids a treat. Come on, little Johnny. Let's have my finger of fudge now. <laughs> Yeah, didn't somebody didn't somebody get busted for you know trying to give a kid a finger of fudge not too long ago? Oh, that was that uh that was that cult down in you know San Angelo or something. How's a fudge packet? They're horrible. They'll stick your teeth together. Oh, lovely. Oh, so will Tootsie Rolls. That's why I don't eat them either. I don't eat anything that'll stick my teeth together. I might a tooth come loose because of a Tootsie Roll. There's a big one. I was like, uh oh. I broke my front tooth twice. The tooth come loose, but that was because of a jealous boyfriend. Anyway. And the second time Superman went, oops, sorry. <laughs> the second time I vomited so much, my tooth fell out. <laughs> <laughs> or alternatively, I vomited so much I passed out and might have smacked my mouth on the way down. What's that? <laughs> when I broke my muffin tooth the second time. Yeah. You tasted the toilet. Probably. <laughs> Did it taste the toilet? It tasted a lot worse. I do have a dog. You we could play Tasted Squirrel. You got the exact same one. <laughs> I, t- I haven't tasted the. Um, They're probably all the same. Do you have? Oh sp- yeah, they are. Yeah. Do you have Spite Wick Wiggy on your Dr Pepper? Do I have what? Spite Wick. Spite Wit Wiggy. Who? No. Sheila LeBeau. What? He plays Sheila LeBeau oh, okay. plays Spike Wit Wiggy on the Transformers. That's the only movie he's really. Not oh, I know for. who he is. I've just never mm. known. Spite Wiggy. Spite Wiggy. Yeah, and I've uh, seen Transformers. Transformers is really good. I haven't seen half the movies. I've See, seen. how come, right? I went to England in November <laughs> on my own, and I watched Transformers on the plane. <coughs> you went to England and watched Hairspray. 
Transformers wasn't on yeah, my plane because, because we, rolled, we rolled over on, on the yeah. yeah we rolled well, over anyway, the well, I want to see Hairspray in Havoc in June, in June I've got my I'm moving out so we're, I'll be having frequent everybody can come over and we can watch movies all day if you're bored okay so where are you moving probably someplace closer to my job Ooh. so I don't have to pay uh, nine million dollars to gas the only problem is, is I work near I work near an industrial zone so there's not many apartments there nice but you live in a tent hmm you can the gazebo. Yeah, you can yeah. live in the gazebo on the ship channel or whatever. Oh, okay. No. no. <laughs> There'll be that no. crazy guy in the news, like, dancing naked and, in front of traffic. <laughs> How is that different that from was my room? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find a towel, so I just kind of went, you know, until somebody threw me one. <laughs> Got out of the shower, like, crap. I don't have a towel. I can either hair dry or... Naked outside. Yeah. Or you can naked outside. Just, yeah. like, you know, air dry. Can you move anywhere near us, please? Just <laughs> don't air dry. <laughs> That goes for all of you. That's not just. Where about you work? Uh, Richie Road and Alding Westfield. Not that that means anything to your listeners. I know. I know where Alding Westfield is. Where's Richie Road? Richie Road is halfway between Alding Westfield and like Deerbrook Mall. Okay. When he was flying his suit, and the kid was like, Mom, Mom, Mom! And she's like, Richie, Richie, Richie! He's like, See how annoying that is? What? An Iron Man, when he's flying by a car, he's just like, Mom, Mom, Mom! Oh, oh yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I, I, I always love the part where he gets the phone call after picking out the terrorists. He's Stop like, spoiling it! We have not seen it. That was in previews! I yeah. Don't get it. Hey, Tony, how's it doing? Oh, I'm just fine. He's like, You sound kind What's that noise in the background? Oh, I'm just driving with the top down. Why are you out of breath? I'm jogging. You said you were driving. You top down. I'm driving towards the jump. It's like it's all right. Don't oh, do that to people. Yeah. It's like Robert Downey Jr. had experience Stark playing at the camp it. yet. He's, no, he's not. No, he's not. Yeah, you're right. He's just coming down that mountain. Yeah, it's like Robert Downey Jr. had experience playing an out of control drug addicted uh, playboy or something. So, yes, um, most states that uh, he's going to radio Stark with that evening and let him know some basics. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to send a plane for him to return so you can set off tomorrow. She reflected it. I can't reach. Hopefully the plane should reach Starkweather by noon, and then we can um, take off when it gets back. What do you say? Yeah, you want to go into there? I think we're still all going to die. Maybe. Okay, December the 3rd, 1933. I thought it was already December the 3rd. December 2nd. When's Christmas? Balmy. Today the pace of things begins to quicken as all three camps prepare for the flight. Yes! We're all going to walk in slow motion with helmets like an... So, yes, all three expeditions quickly begin... Uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, apparently there's a bit of a wind that blasts through the camp that morning and uh, delays your plane taking off to collect stark weather. Um, and you all needed to make pole survival checks, and you did, and it was good. Um, hey, look, a natural one. Woohoo! Yeah. Pole, everyone can tick pole survival for all their successful pole survival okay. checks. Yeah. I learned something. Look, we all rolled a natural one. Congratulations. Yeah. It just delays the takeoff of the Weedle to pick up stark weather. Um, all three expeditions quietly begin preparations for their forays over the mountain. You are gathered by Mo in the supply tent after securing the camp, and are given the tasks of planning and provisioning the trip with the help of Peter Sykes, the polar expert guy. Um, hey, Tracy, you go through the, uh, the pre-flight checklist. Yep. Jenna, you get uh, you help with the supplies. 
Ape, you go tamper with the area line, the Aralong lines on the other planes. Arr. I must be going insane. I just thought that somebody told me what to do who wasn't in charge of me. Oh, that's terrible. I go tamper with the area lines on the other planes. Yeah. Um, you, Tracy, make me uh, some kind of aircraft maintenance <laughs> role. Mechanical repair, aircraft <laughs> maintenance, whatever you've got. <laughs> I've tasted this one. I Rolls your dice, Tracy. <laughs> Trust me, Liz has done that too. She'll lick it. Ew, here. <laughs> yeah. Did somebody ever actually go? Oh, still made it. Take it hey, from yeah. Take it. What is it? Took a bite of um, the and handed it to me. I was like, ew, I'm like, all right. I could eat it, but I'm not sure. It was bacon. I like bacon. Yeah, one guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. War gamer. One of the things is every time you have a roll of dice. But no, ticket check. Um, you realize that um, in a case of Lexington's camp, uh, Williams and Markle are uh, working with Bowman and Benick uh, throughout the morning on the bell. Oh. They seem to be flushing out the oxygen tanks for the plane and replacing them with other oxygen tanks. Are those the ones we peed in? I'll go and do my duties. Okay. Even though I was told to by somebody. I'll, I won't be facetious. <laughs> yep, I'll go cut the uh, plane's lines. <laughs> Under yeah, the plane. Yeah, there's people all over them. <laughs> not managing. He said to. I'm going to. Check. Yeah, I'll just check this for you. <laughs> your oxygen. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> you smell your oxygen. Um, it smells of lubricating oil, glycerin, and other impurities. Ew. Flush it. Flushing. It's going to take a while to flush your oxygen, and you're not even certain you've got clean wow, oxygen. Wow, Danny, you actually All the oxygen that. you've got is got in Melbourne and may be tainted. <laughs> you can breathe this, but it's not going to be pleasant. She's clever, isn't she, really? Let's check all the little oxygen tanks. You connect a mask to each tank, yeah. and they all smell the same. Ew. It would appear the only oxygen that is untainted came from the Germans. I'm going to go tank their now, tanks. And he's now attached to um, a Casey's plane. I'm going to go tank. You can breathe it, no. but it won't be very I'm nice. I'm taking their tanks. How? Well, we seem to have your tank that's here. Well, let's swap it back for our tank. So I guess we don't have a tank. I don't, there's not an air compressor at the field on the... Stand my name I'm on sorry. Um, nope. You brought tanked oxygen with you. We, got, we had a mix-up. You're taking that plane, we're taking this plane. <laughs> I don't think so. Both the Weedle and the Enderby tanks are... Tainted. Only the Bell's tanks, the one they've just flushed. As, um, and she only knew because she'd flown previously with the oxygen. Yeah, she probably did it. Cool. Is there any way we can we can put in a filtration system? No. No, just open the window. <laughs> no. Why? Because you're going to be flying. If you need the oxygen, you don't want the window open. Um, How about we just not go and wait to see if they come we're back? We're going to take an a, a, a air freshener, cut it in a tiny piece, and put it in each mask. <laughs> so when they're breathing then, in, it's tiny it fresh like lubricant, scent. glycerin, and piney fresh. <laughs> and it's better. <laughs> what a great plan. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll take a can of Febreze and like, spray it into the oxygen tank. <laughs> oh, right, Moore announces the planned journey to the assembled expedition in the mess hall at lunch. Asks for volunteers for the flight. You're already in, in there. Um, Where's my hand? Two others step forward. You get the 
Arctic guy and the meteorologist wants to go. Arctic guy and the meteorologist. Paul of survival. Hi. I'm already going. I'm Jack Frost. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. he's not He's not already on the plane, so he's going to go. Yeah, he'll die, and then nobody else will be able to survive. I don't think he's already on. No, he's not already on the plane. So Sykes, what Sykes wants to go, he's the Arctic survival guy, and um, the meteorologist, hey. I can't remember his name, but he wants to go. The more the merrier, he can block tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> the meteorologist gets his face sucked off. No, man, he was defending it with his face. Hmm? Um, Elder things don't have tentacles. Captain Starkweather thinks, and I concur. Captain Starkweather? Yeah, it's Captain Starkweather. He elected himself captain. <laughs> when? Captain. Can I elect myself major then? He's a captain. He's never called him. Is he an evil captain or a military captain? captain? I think he's military. He's always been Mr. Starkweather. What um, that we should best make our plans without the help of Ms. Lexington's group? After Ooh. all, it has still not been determined what happened to her radios and oxygen supply on the ice shelf, or who, if anyone, is responsible. <laughs> Anyone that's a professor or a captain. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows why we're laughing. What, the net of a crisp stuck to his nose? Well, they're not called crisps. They're Excuse called me. Chips. Stuck to his nose. Stacks. They're stacks. They're 50% less saturated fat than regular potato crisps. I don't understand how you can have a, have a crisp called a lay over here. Because <laughs> oh, it's laid. Because the guy that well, invented it was big, Charles like, Ray. Crispins ah. chicken. You notice it has an apostrophe S. No, I'm reading yeah. it from the side. Uh, I've got to send Brian Bill pickle lays apparently. But now I kind of do. Yeah, it's kind of mil- mil- mixed into his uh, logo. Yeah. Dill pickle lays. Mm. Brian, he wants dill pickle lays. Those are pretty good. Ones. Hello. Yeah. She keeps asking me for them, so she's going to send me like so she, When she comes to visit to get them. I like the old Hawaiian plays. So, the people have babies over here. She's a midwife student. People she has less than no money. Oh, yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, but when she starts plopping babies out, she'll have lots. Okay, yes. So, yeah. Are you wandering off again, Hal? Huh? I am, I'm sorry, I'm meandering. Noon broadcast, both yeah. expeditions announced their intentions of taking off as soon as circumstances allow. It's like an egg Yay! Woohoo! Alright, everybody buckle Although it's a bit of a waste of time, because there are no evil monsters. No. It's just mass hallucinations caused by psychotropic drugs. Buckle in, we're taking off. You're not ready yet. <laughs> the plane's going to collect the dark weather. Okay, things start to move quickly after lunch. Halperin, Sykes, and some of the tech staff begin sorting the equipment needed for the flight. All three camps spend the afternoon in a whirlwind of activity, finishing the survey of the caves, packing supplies for the voyage, and preparing aircraft for flight. Um, I'll make a fake letter saying that we discovered a fumarole in the uh, in the plateau with poisonous gas, and, and no one's supposed to come here. And, Give it to one of the guys and that's not going and say, if I don't come back, publish this. So that way no one will come back because they were afraid of like poisonous you know, gas, which would kill everybody who goes into it. And that's why everybody, nobody ever comes back. What are you wondering about, boy? I should be able to change out some of Yeah, but you've got no fresh oxygen. <laughs> you would need an air compressor. Yeah, yeah. You need, you'd need a way to make fresh oxygen having got one, which is why you can't do it. You could if you had fresh oxygen canisters. All right, everybody, uh, fill up the penguin. <laughs> penguin, breathe in. Breathe in. Fill up. Close it. <laughs> fill up a penguin. Let me see him with a bellows and a, a bellows in one arm and a penguin in the other. 
Unfortunately, oh yeah, you might need these. Unfortunately, he loses a ping. Like, That's the equipment on your planes. Is there anything else you wish to take? Guns. The first armored division. <laughs> Guns. Hey, those Germans are coming. I'm taking a gun. <coughs> um, any weapons larger than a pistol must be approved by Mo or Starkweather when he finally gets there. Well, it's still, I'm sitting with it in plane. What? What are you, what are you taking? My rifle. Are you asking Mo if you can take your rifle? No, I'm just taking it. You need to. He's, he's told yeah. you he needs to approve yeah. it. Yeah, I'll show him. I've got a hunting rifle. Yep. He approves that. He approves it because he doesn't. He's not sure what's over there. Yeah, he's got a BAR, <laughs> rounding thirty millimeter, you know, thirty caliber you have a rifle. Big ass, you have a big ass rifle. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. Browning automatic. You can walk and shoot with it. You actually had bar gunners, entire squads of guys walking with heavy machine guns, shooting the Germans. Germans hated those guys most. Hell, they still use they use those guns for fifty fucking years. They still work. I am her certified playmate. Apparently, yeah. Uh, hey, babe, you found your glasses. Good girl. So why do we have sodium hydroxide? Because we can. It's for it's part of the oxygen tent. Ah, okay. It's for recycling your air, I think. Total supplies and equipment are lined up on the runways stored inside the end. We have canvas tarpaulins with grommets, but I don't see anything with wallaces. <laughs> So, everybody's ready. Everybody ready? Yeah. It takes all day to prepare. Night falls and you'll be flying in the morning. Boom. Yes, boom. But it's always daylight. Well, yeah. But 40 days of night, so now Stark we're still, days of night. Starkweather still isn't there. He's going to arrive about midnight. Starkweather arrives at midnight. And then you've still got to reprovision the plane. He's just landed in. Yeah. So you start to reprovision the plane. You got there, babe? Oh. Tooth and nail. Are you wanting to change anything out? Oxygen? Check the trail radio. Yep, all works. I'll look for the Wallaces. Bring a secondary uh, radio battery. Okay. Anything that you bring in will have to be left to take something out. Another blowtorch. They're packed to capacity. I'll carry a blowtorch. Yeah, but you'll still be adding Well, I mean, okay. We have navigational tools like a sun compass and a sextant, but it's never night, so we can't navigate by the stars, and we're at the bottom of the earth, so the sun is always directly overhead. So no matter which way we walk, it's north. So we can just Only if you're actually at the South Pole is it north. Okay. But there's a pretty damn good chance we walk north. Because <laughs> eventually we'll walk south for a little bit, then we'll be walking north again. That's funny. Weedle circles in low from the east, lands shortly before midnight, and unloads three men and a full sled team. Professor Moore rushes out to greet Starkweather, who is in a foul mood. His kit bag is left on the plane. He con- it contains, among other things, his revolver. Why would I need that? Advice and criticism are equally unwelcome to Starkweather right now. He orders the Weedle completely unloaded, calls a conference of all his men, 
Many of them must be awakened for this. Okay. Fifteen minutes after Starkweather's landing. Yeah, new on the planes. Starkweather climbs upon the wing. Professor Moore stands below with his hands in his pockets to cries of, What's up, Captain? Who's called as his godforsaken time? Starkweather replies, Sorry about the beastly owl lads, but it's time for the big push. Lexington and the Huns have sprung one on us and joined up to beat us over the pass. They're no end of trouble. I'm sure all of you fellows realise what we have to do, and we'll do everything we, may, we men can do. Our pilots tell me that we can make it over the far side and spend a couple of days prowling about on the ground. Of course, only four of you, besides myself and the professor and the pilots, may come on the trip, but I know you're all very keen for the job, so put your names in with the professor and... We can, if we can, we'll send back a plane to bring some more of you along. What? How many more sodium hydroxide canisters? <coughs> You've got plenty of stuff, but everything you put in, you have to take something else off. Right. I'm going to take. Hang on. With a bit of luck, luck, we can make sure those boys and their little lady are watching our tail from their windscreen, eh? So much for their efficiency. Oh, and let's jolly well make sure they don't pinch our stuff. I wouldn't put it past them. If they ask for our help, tell them to go to blazes. They've proved what sorts they are. You scientist fellows should put together a small kit for the trip. It's going to be a bit tight. It'll be a grand adventure once we're there, and that's why we all came, eh? I'm asking the doctor to pass around a tot, and then the mechanics should get to work. The rest of you will need some sleep. I want to take off by eight o'clock. You know, you won't let my side, the side down. Gentlemen, dismissed. A rumble of cheers... Low whistles, grumbles, and animated conversation greets the speech. Starkweather is back, and as usual, he seems to step behind. A step behind, out of touch with things as they are. I got 50 bucks as he bites it first. <laughs> Essentially, he's just told you everything that Moe's already done. Starkweather talks to one or two of his senior people, ignoring their suggestions as usual, then begs off as he's not slept in about 20 hours and goes to sleep in a vacant tent. Professor Moore, looking subdued, starts the waiting workers loading and preparing the Weedle. Those who are chosen for the flight should get some more rest, as takeoff is scheduled for 10 a.m. I think they'd notice if he was smothered in his sleep. <laughs> It'd be about as dopey. Once immediate matters have been dealt with, he retires as well. The pilots and the mechanics should plan to be up and on the job by 6 a.m. The remainder of the night passes quietly. Few people rest well. Or his canisters tainted as well. Whose? He only mm. had uh, portable ones for his oxygen masks. But no, he's armed. You can't use them in the plane because they're literally this big. And he only had a handful with him for climbing it. But the ones on the plane, yes, they are. Um, at 4.15, you were probably up and around by then, word comes from the barrier camp that the fog has begun to blow off Professor Uwe sends at once for the plane waiting at the South Pole cache with Lexington's supplies. Takes off towards the Ross Sea to arrive at the coastal base at about 9. 7am, Starkweather emerges from his tent and rouses his camp. The wind has picked up to 15 miles an hour, still from the southeast. Skies are clear, and still air temperature is a cheery minus 15. Oh. Or the equivalent of minus 50 after correction. In these conditions, crews move slowly and laboriously, and several minor cases of frostbite appear among the men preparing the planes. 
For the first time since your arrival, the dig site is non-existent. 8 a.m. A floor is discovered in Captain Starkweather's plans. It seems the oxygen in some of the tanks on the Weedle smells pungently of glycerin. Glycerin. You've already checked all the tanks. That doesn't delay you at all. Uh-huh. Carefully stored cargo is rummaged through. Tanks are removed and tested. Blah, blah. We've done that. Most of them give off a strange smell. Uh, I'm going to replace... Uh... Hang on. <laughs> Freaking A. You've already done it. You've checked the tanks, so that really doesn't delay you at all. Word comes from the Ross Sea Camp 920. Uh, the DBFED has landed and offloaded Lexington's promised supplies. Acacia Lexington has received her payment. Minutes later, she and Carl Williams begin heating Bell's engines for flight. Only reset to four and reduce that to 18. You're reducing the oxygen. Okay. Starkweather, clenching and unclenching his fists, watches in growing frustration as oxygen cylinders are tested. No, he doesn't, because it's already been done. You're still loading. When a shuddering roar is heard from the engine of Lectinson Delta, he stares at it and then shouts, All right, lads, never mind. Sure it doesn't matter. She hasn't beaten us yet. Whatever. Um... Bell lumbers into the icy runway at about 10am. Starkweather orders everything on board now and starts to pile onto the plane. Um, by the time the mechanics have finished everything, blow torching the engines of the Boeing's warm enough to start, 20 minutes have passed, you're aboard. In your heaviest clothing, the crews start the engines and take off as the passengers readjust the disarrayed cargo or fidget <coughs> with the suspect oxygen equipment. You take off at 10.20 a.m. The mountains loom huge in the windows as the aircraft climb upwards. Difficult to speak over the roar of the engines, the whine of the wind, but there's little to be still little to say. Everyone leans against the glass, looking forward, wondering what awaits beyond the mountains of madness. And then the pilot rolls a 99 on his pilot check. <laughs> I hate you, Tracy! <laughs> Oh, sorry, Starkweather was pissing about. Yeah, but he said he started to speak to the pilot. Yeah, yeah, he's got a small Arctic. He's behind everyone. Someone forgot to guess up the plane. Starkweather! The two Boeings climb steadily towards the pass for almost an hour, gradually yeah, gaining the altitude needed to reach the gap. The aeroplane floors tilt at an even ever steeper angle as the heavy vehicles wallow in the thin air. At first, Professor Moore is excited and tries to speak to the others in the Weedle, but speech is hard over the pounding roar of the engines. He settles back with his copy of the Dyer text, reading through carefully once more. Um, you're not in the NWA, you're all in the Weedle, which is yeah. fine. Um, you can see Starkweather craning and looking through the windows. Only the pilots speak easily, murmuring to each other and to the men in the other Boeing. Words secured in padded headphones. None of the passengers can understand a thing they say. The Weedle's pilot, Halperin, tries to call the bell on the radio. There is no answer, only a harsh hiss of static. They died already. 20 minutes into the flight, as the two aircraft rise past 16,000 feet, they are caught in, a powerful, uh, in powerful winds rushing from the pole towards the mountains. The engines roar and race. 
The planes shudder and jerk violently in mid-air, slewing about mushily for a time, as if the, st- the wings are lost their purchase. How does one do something <coughs> mushily? <coughs> Passengers can hear the that. pilots cursing, but there's no chance for questions. Occupants are slammed up and down and side to side in sudden unpredictable lunges. Loose items skitter along the walls and floor. Investigators who are not belted, I'm assuming you're all belted because it's a uh, Antarctic plane. No, I'm surfing. Yeah, he's on the roof. Must make a dex check or less or be thrown from your seats and against the hole. Blah, blah, blah. It's very turbulent. Within minutes, the crafts are fully within the racing air currents. Ground speed increases to over 250 miles an hour, but the passengers do not feel the difference. Only the mountains change, nearing at an alarming rate. Each minute, they loom larger and darker ahead until they fill the forward view. It seems impossible that they could continue to grow, but they do. As the aircraft draws near to the high peaks... The crackle of static increases moment by moment to a powerful throbbing roar. No one aboard is over is ever experienced its like. Communications with Lake's camp become first difficult, then impossible. In a matter of minutes, even the signals from the other plane, less than a mile away, is half drowned out by a sea of noise. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> See how he was doing. What was he doing? Well, you started about throbbing, and he was just going. Like <laughs> You're a horrible. Boy. Kind of rolled to the back of his head. <laughs> Apparently, they have big tails. <laughs> Almost at once, it seems the planes are approaching eighteen thousand feet. All persons on board should be on oxygen by this time. Explorers clamp their noses shut and bite the rubbery pipe stems between their teeth. The hissing gas is acrid, cold and dry, and smells like paint or glue. Each time a new cylinder is opened, everyone needs to roll a con times seven. Son of a... Oh, well, con's good. Eleven, I'm fine. Well, 27, I'm good. Seven. Yeah, you've got at least 70 there, haven't you? So, lots. Uh, 98. Right. No, Don't yeah. roll. Yeah, I'm I'm just roll. You did it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's pretty easy. Yeah, ninety-nine. 70. You die. Okay. <laughs> Everyone passed. Yeah, you're fine. Otherwise, you're going to have short spells of nausea or fainting from the industrial fumes. Apparently, it says investigators <laughs> who decide to forego oxygen. I don't need that stuff. It's for sissies. Will experience the joys of hypoxia as the aircraft rise higher and higher. The, the foothills between Lakes Camp and the Pass are r- high, rough peaks in their own right. Stark blades and angles of rock thrusting upwards from sheets of ice. Anywhere else they would be recognised for the mighty monoliths they are, but here they're dwarfed to insignificance by the incredible wall of stone that is, that is the central range. Rushing forward, the eyes of everyone in the two planes are helplessly drawn to the impossible spires of the mountains, mercilessly illuminated by the low rays of the sunlight slanting from the east. The aircraft strain and wallow in the rarefied air, but the high peaks continue, upward, upward. High above the tiny craft, even now, they seem to hold up the sky. The heavens glimpsed through the high peaks are a curious colour, Mottled white and pink, tinged with darker bands and areas of brightness that seem to move. The mountains are dark stones, bands of black and grey interspersed within lighter striations, uneven in appearance and riddled. In the upper reaches above 21,000 feet, 
with the blocks, angled terraces, and clusters of cave mouths written of by Dyer. There is no snow at all near the pass, or on the high peak, high, high spires. In the barren stretches near the pass, the ancient surfaces of natural mountainside give way to more artificial forms, round-edged weathered clusters of stony cubes, eerily regular in size and shape, are everywhere in the higher levels, their glistening quartzite pale and luminous against the mountain's dark stone. Spires, cones and cylinders, ramps, ramparts and cave mouths of great regularity and antiquity appear, first as little more than scattered shapes, like the discarded blocks of a cyclopean child, more often as the plain rises higher. Such regular formations of stone occur naturally elsewhere in the world. The Giant's Causeway in Ireland, also mentioned by Dyer, is a good example, never on this scale. Here, the seeming extrusions extend along the higher expansions of the range in both directions, as far as the eye can see. The scale is staggering. Successful geology rolls? Yes. Did I roll a one? Yes. No. Geology. We haven't trained skills yet, otherwise I'd have it. No. I'm serious, I got an X in it. That's awesome. Go for it. Do it again. Oh, dang it. Five sixty-three. Twenty-nine. I made it. Woo! Made my ticket. Um, that, twenty-nine. Geology. Forty-one. Yep. Ticket. That's a fourteen. Ticket. 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 Where such formations occur in nature, they're a result of volcanic action. But there's no tra- trace of volcanism at all on these mountains, Mister Ned. Well, duh. This isn't Star Trek. <coughs> <coughs> in the last few miles before the pass, the aircraft seem like tiny toys, utterly dwarfed by the sheer immensity of the approaching spires. The Weedle and the Enderby stagger along at the very limit of their engine's power, five miles above the sea and the high peaks to either side scrape the heavens full miles higher still. The broad base of the pass, a good mile across, seems to a narrow needle's needles eye through which the two planes are thrust with bewildering speed. (laughs) Are you fucking to look up the giant's cold? Yeah, we broke the sound barrier. The investigators (laughs) see all this as they approach the pass. Such are the distances involved, however, that at first little more than the broad scope of things can be seen. Even the coarsest details are only seen in the final minutes as the walls of the mountains hurtle upwards during the the traverse of the pass itself. First cave mouths appear a short distance below a level of the pass at roughly 22,000 feet. To the naked eye, they look little more than dark shadows against the matte fabric of stone. Cube-shaped formations cluster thickly around the mouths of the caves. The caves, too, exhibit a regularity of shape and height that is unnerving. All are either square or semicircular in outline, but without reference it is difficult to say how large they are. Nothing else can be seen with the naked eye as the planes hurtle past. Uh, You don't have field glasses, do you? Hmm? You don't have binoculars. I use my scope. (laughs) You do have hunting rifles. It's true, but they're going to be hard to point through a window of a plane. Unless you disconnect the scope. You want to use the rifle scopes? Yeah. Okay. Good plan. Um, Worth any experience? Okay. It's Cthulhu, dude. I know. Uh, field glasses, or your scopes, reveal many details about the caves. Their mouths are smooth and regular, especially along their upper surfaces. Through the, uh, though their lower lips are frequently rounded and misshapen by sun and wind, 
The sides of the mountain exterior immediately around the cave mouths are invariably smooth and clean between the caves. What? I don't want to know. <laughs> and their surrounding clusters of cubes, in contrast to the surface outside the cuboid clusters, has the familiar irregularity of unworked natural stone. Brief glimpses into cavern mounds show no stalactites, stalagmites, or other signs of natural formation. I have no idea what they have no respect for you. Oh no, I see a lack of respect. Merely clean, regular tunnels and chambers that penetrate deeply <laughs> into the mountainside. Oh, they're birds! <laughs> Did you just snort a sweet tart? Are they so. You know, that's why they have <laughs> That's what the hole underneath the nose is for, buddy. Maybe <laughs> like laughing, they just went flat. <laughs> Uh, you managed to oh. suck a sweet tart into your sinus cavity. That's actually somewhat <laughs> you know impressive. No, he did. He said the mouth of the kids are smooth and round. He was like this. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you horrible boy. <laughs> the number of caves increases drastically above the level of the pass. On higher levels, the cavern mouths group so closely together that their surrounding clusters blend into one another without gaps. The highest reaches of the Miskatonic Range must be so riddled with caves and tunnels as to be little more than a honeycomb of passageways. Investigators with a successful spot hidden roll. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I made it. 20. 20. I made it. Hmm. That's a shame because you haven't found that stone yet. Sorry. It's writing backwards again. You notice, you notice that close to the cave mouths are fine weathered cracks and pits that appear to be in like a, they, they appear to have dots in like a pattern that have, that's very regular. It's obviously not caused by natural stuff. Yeah. Like no, they're in the cave. You haven't found them. The evidence amasses fact by fact, observation by observation. Even if Dyer lied or was mistaken about some of what he saw there can be little doubt that the upper reaches of the mountains were once worked by intelligent hands. Investigators who look at the land below, rather than the mountainsides, may make successful spot hidden rolls. <laughs> Just I assume you're looking everywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. No. I made that one. Good one, David. You make out subtle artifice in the slopes there as well. The foothills range push upwards out of the ice for a hundred miles, but here and there, for most of that way, there are swaths of snow and glaciers that form smooth, gentle slopes leading up toward the pass. Despite chasms and regions where the land has fallen away, anyone making a successful polar survival roll... Ooh, I made it. Oh, I could get a one. Come Because I have nothing in it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Four. Jenna, ooh, Jenna got a 28. I made it just, just that. 6, 6, yeah. 8, one. Jenna made it too. Um, you know that a careful explorer with the proper supplies could make the trip to the pass on foot in a few weeks. Hey, Rube! The glaciers lead up towards the peaks with unusual... problem with the engines, hang on. ...with unusual <laughs> continuity. Broad, sinuous expanses of gently sloping ice, suggesting that the land between was once smooth and free of obstruction. Perhaps if everything Dyer said was true, mighty roads once led upwards from primordial lowlands to the city below. 
Two planes keep one of the smooth glacial paths beneath them, hurtling upwards into the narrow pass at more than four, four miles per minute. So far, the craft have performed faultlessly, their unsynchronised engines roaring in the thin, cold air beyond the cabin windows. The bottom of the pass lies at 23,880 feet, now visible before you, a stark expanse of wind-scoured grey stone, guarded on either side by fantastic ribs and pillars of rock, and by ever-present caves and their companion clusters. The radios are useless. Nothing but wild, howling chaos can be heard. Even the other Boeing is silent, its signal lost in the static's hiss, cracks, sputters and moans. The rock face is now utterly bare, stripped clean of all traces of snow and ice by the ever-present wind. Ahead and on all sides, the jagged peaks claw knife-like at the sky of swirling opalescence. Thin clouds of ice crystals carried up from the lowlands paint chimera and shadows across the heavens to create an odd sense of oppression. The nearby spires seem wrapped in faint veils of colour, shifting rainbows that flicker and effervesce, as if the light itself lay wound in heavy coils around, around and between them. In the last minutes of the climb, investigators with a successful listen roll. Next one. Hey, made it. Anyone succeeding me? Mark it. Yes. Oh, shit. Mark it if you need it. Well, just drop the pencil. Chum. Um, hear a new sound. High piping whistling. So faint as to be barely audible over the engine's roar. It, nonetheless, seems to evade every corner of the plane, sliding along the nerves and lodging deep within the hearer's bones. You lot, the ones who sense the sound, can sometimes almost make out the thread of a tune. Then it spirals away, twisting into something inhuman and beyond understanding. The sound comes from everywhere and nowhere. Everyone who hears the piping, who heard the piping... Oh, good. You can she failed. She rolled an 85. Okay. Uh, may make a successful POW times 3 check. 38. POW. Looks like my POW's pretty high. Holy yes. crap. Holy crap. Holy crap. Well, I rolled a 10. Cool. Maybe. <laughs> I rolled a 5. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anyone who passes POW times 3 yeah. is filled with a deep, inexplicable sense of dread and revulsion. <clears throat> the music seems to carry some dark, primal message that it is almost, but not quite, understood. At a level beyond thought and beyond memory, clamping hands over ears drowns out most of the sound, but once it is heard, it lingers vibrations running through the body in silent reminder. All those who've been touched by the mountain's song suffer a loss of... Sound checks, please. <coughs> Two. Sorry. Pass. Nice one. Come on, Ed. Go crazy in the plane. 18, 18, 18. Ooh. Two! Ooh, <laughs> You're all passed. No, Ned rolled a 90-something. Uh, oh, yeah. Ned loses D3, Sam. No. Yep. Yes. No, you didn't hear it. Oh, okay. <laughs> friggin' two, I bet. Oh! Ned loses one sound. What, what did they hear? They, they hear the, the horrible, piping, unnatural song of the mountain. Oh. Which is... So I'm guessing Zamfir. Yeah. Zone down four sound. Rational scientific investigators may later point out the sound was merely the wind whistling. Blah, blah, blah. Hey. Oh, uh, with a successful Cthulhu Mythos roll. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Thirty-six, it's, just shy. Yeah, that's funny. Just shy of one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, sound, the sound seems to build around and within the plane, growing stronger and sadder each passing minute. Those who missed the original listen roll still hear nothing. They're all like, "Oh, crazy!" You failed your roll. Make you the kitty G star. La 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 la. You failed your listen, Jack. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because otherwise you'd be losing sound. The Enderby and the Weedle enter the pass. The pilots and any investigators making a successful navigate roll. Come on, roll a five. Fifteen. Does that pass? Oh, hell no. Nope. Navigate? Then? Nope. Have navigate? Everybody's got navigate. Ten percent. Yeah. Anyone pass? You get it automatically, you're a pilot. Um, realize that returning this way will be all but impossible due to the mighty gale blowing at their backs. At the last moment, there is a blinding flash of sunlight behind and 60 degrees to the right of the aircraft. Passengers in the planes are momentarily dazzled as twin halos surround the sun, and it is bisected by a glowing cross. Small glories, too, can be seen surrounding the shadows of the planes as they plunge into the darkness between the peaks. Moore and Starkweather, seemingly unaffected by the wailing, crouch forward in their cabins, peering forward past the pilots, eager for the first sight of the high plateau beyond the pass. With a sudden shout, we don't understand, Starkweather's not in your plane. <sighs> bah! <laughs> No sign of the bell has been seen, either in the air or on the ground. Anyone craning their necks, looking ahead, trying to catch the first glimpse of what lies ahead. The sun is hidden by the great mass of the mountains. To starboard, magnetic and gyro compasses swing wildly, showing no sign of ever settling down. The transit of Dyer's Pass takes only five minutes. Clearing the summit, the two aircraft burst through the whirling cloud patterns at 11.23 a.m., at angle down toward the plateau below. A shimmering haze of ice particles lies on the horizon directly ahead. Thin layers of ice smoke blur the fine details of land below. Directly beneath the plains, long talons of shadow reach to the west, wrapping the foothills in darkness. The shadows of the Boeings can be seen as well, dark tunnels through the intangible mists, like windows into dream. <sighs> Behind the aircraft, in the sky above the highest peaks, Portions of the solar halos can still be seen, like luminous rainbows of purest white in the sky. They fade slowly as the planes descend. The glowing signs in the sky behind and the darkness below may seem like omens to some, but there is no turning back. As you peer into the distance, the aircraft begin to descend. A fine whisper of something passes through the craft, tickling the hairs on the backs of your necks and reminding a few briefly of the mountain's wailing piping song. The wash of rudder, of ruddy sunlight, dims and thickens, layer upon layer, like slow and subtle sap settling around the lowering plains. For a moment the engines throb and strain, and the aircraft shudder as if from the turbulence, but the air before them seems still. Seconds later, all that it is be- all as it was before. The haze below is gone, but the true nature of the plateau can clearly be seen. Before you, miles away yet, but seeming almost close enough to touch, an immense ice-shrouded city spreads out. (laughs) Before you, incredibly massive, impossibly ancient, undeniably real, 
Its crumbled towers and labyrinthine streets extend as far as the eye can see. Everywhere is a maze of squared, curved and angled blocks, crumbled ramparts and immense expanses of rubble embedded in glacial ice. The frozen sheet appears to be no more than 40 or 50 feet deep. Here and there, vast, dark shapes beneath the surface tempt the imagination. A chorus of low oaths, prayers and queries can be heard inside the plane as everyone struggles with the reality of the scene. Viewing the city for the first time is worth a sand roll, unless you're rationalising. Past. In which case it's, uh... Toledo. Toledo. The ancient civilizations from the dark past. You've heard archaeology. You failed, didn't you? Four off. If you fail, you lose one sand. If you pass, you lose zero. Professor Moore goes utterly still and quiet and slowly takes off his glasses, turning away to rub at his eyes. Seventeen to go. And then we have to gun you down like a mad dog. Mad dog. We do not... You can have a flashback if you like. Yeah, he wasn't in the Air Force. Oh yeah, you weren't in the Air Force. But he was like... Planned in places, I'm sure. Weedle and Enderby uh, bank whoa, whoa, slightly whoa. to the right and descend further, angling northward over the terraced expanse of foothills. As they drop below the level of the pass, the tremendous winds blowing from the pole subside, lessening to almost nothing at the surface. White wisps of citrostratus clouds cover most of the sky in a tangled web far above the plateau. They do not blur the outline of the sun, the tiny suspended crystals of ice occasionally catch the red Antarctic daylight and cast it in breathtaking arcs and halos across the heavens. A thin fog hugs the lower slopes of the Miskatonic Range. Bits of fog are constantly snatched up and torn in long streaming fingers toward the city. The fog and streamers persist as long as the powerful jet stream winds continue to roar through the pass. For thirty minutes the two craft swoop in a broad curving arc from the northwest. 30 miles out over the ruins and back again, covering a section of ruins 10 miles wide. Passengers gaze in awe and fear upon the mighty works of the now van- vanished Elder Things. Oh. Professor Moore, eyes glued... No, you know that. You've read the diet yeah, text. Yeah. Eyes glued in the external landscape, frantically sketches and scribbles in a small notebook. Assume you're taking pictures. Mm-hmm. Okay. While the airplanes traverse the terrifying landscape, gradually lowering to less than a thousand feet above the ice, the ancient and deserted nature of the city is repeatedly made plain. Ice spills from the stumps of shattered towers, great cracks and voids ruin plazas, streets and walls. The colours visible are solely those of ice and rock. Picture! So did Eskimos do this then? Yeah. No, it was the mm. penguins back when they were smart. Primordial Pangean Eskimos. They Eskimos, could have. however, can. Have you seen have. igloos? They could have. They clearly moved and got it was Megatron. stone and started making... Decepticons, yes, that was what it was. <laughs> it was, it was the Decepticons. They, are kind they of have a history of doing this. the fortress of solitude. <laughs> yeah, Superman's out here. <gasps> there he is! It could have been Cobra. They had a, they had a base in the end. Cobra! <laughs> That's clearly <laughs> If you see any guys running around in blue that can't shoot straight, kill them first. Okey-cokey. She's a pug. She's supposed to sound like that. <laughs> it's the engine. Now rev the engine. 
A great river once ran down from the northwest, flowing through the city along a broad artificial channel, and passed beneath a pair of huge, disturbingly shaped towers before vanishing through a strangely carved subterranean arch a mile southwest of Dyer's Pass. Now only the empty bed remains to mark its passing. Anyone examining the Twin Towers using your scopes, mm. or by flying up close, reveal them to be huge barrel-shaped cylinders. Don't need to roll! Every time you say anyone comes up, we all have to roll. You bunch of losers. Time and weather have scrubbed away all but the broadest details, but there can be little doubt that these are the same sentinel statues described by William Dyer in his text. It's clearly understandable how somebody who is slightly insane might think that this was made by aliens. Yeah. Or really, really old things. It's clearly made by Eskimos. True. Eskimos, mm. yeah. I've seen out South, like this. South, Southern Hemisphere Eskimos. Yeah. The rarest form of Eskimo there is. Seskimos. Like, what, what, what have I got again? No. Eskimitos. Um, Quitsotic. Sure. I'm Quitsotic. Sure. She's, she's over-rationalising. Well, she was Panzean. Well, she no. Panzean. I can't remember. You're one of the well, other. Whatever one over-rationalised. Quixotic, quixotic means you see fantasy in everything. Oh, yes, that's right. You're the other one. Well, you made me learn a word. I'm sorry. <laughs> Still didn't learn anyway. Even from above the sheer, <laughs> even from above the sheer size and variety of the place is daunting. Enormous ruined structures are everywhere, no two alike. Decaying stubs of colossal ramparts separate unremarkable piles of stone. Once grand streets now hold only the remnants of fallen buildings, towers, and courtyards, often pentagonal. Now are thrown Sorry. together in ruin. Despite the universal devastation, the city's interior is far from inaccessible. Several plazas, the riverbed, and a few of the wider streets will provide usable landing sites, though most of these possible runways are dangerously short for heavily laden Boeings. Most structures, little more is left than a splash of loosened stone or a suggestion of outline (coughs) deep beneath the ice. Everywhere above the glistening surface are regular mounds of stone, uh, all that is left of stately towers and fortress thick walls. A few noteworthy features stand out from the rest. A broad circular plaza nearly a half mile across, with a deep gaping pit in the centre, a mile north of the empty riverbed. Persian emissaries at the bottom. We top glasses. Oh! <laughs> 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 My eyes are wide away. He's a David. Jeez. They're mine. <laughs> Ned doesn't look too bad in yours. You oh. don't look too bad in Ned's. Uh, Ned's oh Ned's. my oh, in God! Ned's. Apparently, you can see through time with Ned's glasses. <laughs> you can't <laughs> seriously. Careful, you'll have to make a sound check. No, they're about as powerful as yours. Oh, they are. <laughs> I think they might be less powerful than mine. <coughs> they are less powerful because I can see fine. <laughs> wow, I like its prescription. Yeah, they can. That means your eyes are going bad, and you need better. Yeah, my prescription's quite bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Think, things are moving through time at the side. That's to be yeah. safe. Well, I can see five. I can see. Oh, God, you've got one. I can see all of it. It's like showing us. Oh, good, yes. There's some features standing yes. out from the rest. We found that the place where they kicked the Persian emissary down. Yeah, a broad circular plaza nearly half a mile across with a deep gaping pit in the centre, a mile north of the empty riverbed. The northwest half of the plaza is a towering mass of shattered stone, but the remainder is almost rubble-free, shining crescent reflecting the silvery sky. A long black structure reminiscent of, a th- of three glossy pyramids joined in a line th- th- uh, through their corners sticks up out of a morass of surrounding ruin five miles south of the riverbed and nearly ten miles west of the foothills. 
Three miles north of the plaza, close to the rising terrace of the city's eastern edge, a broad, sinuous avenue almost a hundred yards wide winds for more than a mile between a van- uh, vanished edifice. Today the avenue is an unbroken expanse of clear ice, large dark objects spaced at regular intervals along the way can be vaguely seen deep beneath the surface. Very good. Twenty miles west of the foothills, the smooth span of an ancient bridge still crosses the empty riverbed. Today only the central arch is visible, the rest lost below the glacial ice. After a long wordless survey of the ruins, the river's end and two barrel-shaped statues come into view once more. Professor Moore coughs and taps the pilot Halperin on the back. Let's land, shouts, flipping back a few pages in his notebook. Where, sir? asks Halperin. There, Moore replies. Land there if you can. He points to the broad open area about two miles distant. With a wave of the wings, the Weedle banks away from the Enderby and arcs towards the chosen site. Halperin and Ned... Why is there somebody with almost on there? I don't know. Flies low over the site turning to get a good look at the ground below before climbing away and returning on the landing run. The heavy Boeing handles sluggish, unresponsive in the thin plateau air. Landing in Moe's Plaza is rough and terrifying. The Weedle drops steeply over harsh, jutting stones towards the rubble-strewn ice How much sanity do we have? that rushes up far too quickly. Everybody aboard can see treacherous bits of rock and cracks marring the surface that seemed smooth from above. Then, with a huge <coughs> crump, the plane smashes into the earth, bouncing once, then scraping across the uneven ice with a screech of stressed metal. It's crump technical noise. Yeah, crump. 200 yards further on, the right ski catches on an embedded stone, causing the plane to yaw viciously to one side. Passengers, including Professor Moore, who are not strapped in, get what? flung. You're all strapped in, except for him. They're thrown across the cabin. He bangs his head. Eek. The aircraft, squealing, limps along another hundred yards and stops. Enderby, following behind a minute later, lands without mishap. For once, Starkweather's luck is good. The aircraft slides to a stop not far from Weedle. Explorers spend ten minutes or so checking their bruises, getting their shit together, and struggling into their survival gear. Most importantly, the heavy frame packs holding their portable oxygen tanks climb carefully down onto the smooth ice. Starkweather and Moore Party is aground in the city of the Elder Things. It is twelve noon. Okay, let's get a picture. Yeah, City of the Eskimo Things. Eskimo, Eskimo. No, Elder Things. Elder Eskimo Things. Eskimos are old. Time will. Just the two. Well, they've been going for ages. Seems like, been a, reading seems like I've yeah. been reading endlessly. Okay. Yeah, we've been. I have a flashback. Shoot Mo. <laughs> huh? Flashback. Shoot the head guy. Just be like, shoot the head guy. Are you German? No. You're lying. <coughs> you stand on ancient ice, hard and smooth and clear. Beneath the surface, vague suggestions of shapes can barely be seen here and there. But for the rest of the darkness continues into unknown depths. All around are huge and rounded hulks of broken stone, dark and unutterably sad. The dim red light paints the pits and hollows of their surfaces with amber and orange hues. Many of the remaining walls, heavy and thick, are of dark slate or shale. They look black in the light of the Antarctic sun. That sun, low over the tall spires of the mountains in the northeast, is still surrounded by a single halo. 
Drifts of snow and frost glimmer in the long shadows. Everything is still, frozen in time for unguessed ages. The weight of years lies heavy on the city, thick and dark with forgotten lives. Change seems blasphemous here, human voices and movement, unwanted intrusion in a sad dreaming of the stones. Secrets, it whispers, secrets are mine. Overhead, thin high wisps of vapour are the only things that move, like fine veils drawn across the city, hiding it from the eyes of time. Their subtle shifts and changes suggest constant furtive motion, as if the stones themselves rearranged themselves without fuss each time the viewer looked away. A thin, high singing is the only sound, constant and eerie and mad, the sound of the wind in the high peaks piping from far away. Even now it chills the soul with its reminders of unguessed horror and blasphemous visions. James Starkweather is in a grand mood as he exits his plane. He stamps about, exclaiming at the group's good fortune and how he expects something big and mysterious all along. He pumps Moe's hand and the hands of the Weedle Airmen, joking with them about their smooth ride. Then he calls everyone from both planes together and speaks to them, his voice thin and muffled inside his breather mask. <laughs> Moe pays little attention, though. Uh, throughout the speech, looking around intently, face unreadable behind goggles and breather mask. What's goggles doing there? Funny. <laughs> Gentlemen and lady, <laughs> this is a momentous day. A momentous day. Today we have set foot in an unknown land. Bravo to all. All, exciting, just landing Eskimos, you know. All around us are the relics of a fabulous forgotten city, and who knows what lies beyond it. What yeah. treasures are within? Not yeah. I. But we're going to find out, aren't we, chaps? No. And lady. <laughs> no. We're getting in the plane and we're going back <laughs> over the goddamn mountains. <laughs> just as soon as we settle in. So let's hop to it and set up a proper camp, and then we'll start on the real business of the day. Looking about. What say? While the air crews look over their planes, Starkweather and Moe examine the nearest ruins in search of a likely campsite. You lot are put to work unloading supplies from the planes. I'm going to take my, uh... Starkweather, sadly insane. <laughs> <laughs> You're writing your notes. I'm writing my article. <laughs> Starkweather, sad. Starkweather finally cracks. I'm going to take out my rifle scope and look around the other mountains to see if I can find, I don't know, another pass to get us out of here. You could walk back out the pass you came in, but it'll take you numerous for a couple of weeks. Yeah, we have enough food to last 24 days. It's not bad, kill off a few of the others. <laughs> Cannibalism, it's a good old tradition. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go find the Scott party, dig them up and eat them. Yeah. Is that a film? Oh, it's Alive, isn't it? Alive, yeah. Where, um, and then there's Ravenous, which is very cool. Which is the one with Robert Carlyle and the cannibal man. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, have. Uh, I think we've got it on video. That's about the Wendigo. The guy that gets his strength by eating the other the rest of the members of the. Uh, Robert Carlyle uh, turns up at like a like an outpost camp in snow, and he's crazy and wild. Oh, and yeah. He's eating his mates, and then it's rather bizarre. Isn't it, it is, yeah. The, the, the more people you eat, the stronger you get, and it's all very strange. Got uh, the the guy that played the principal from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, yeah. as like the boss of the camp, and he yeah. gets eaten along with everyone else. No, he's the one that doesn't get eaten. I thought he'd get eaten. No, he be- he became a cannibal. Oh, okay. and then he gets killed. I don't think it was. I don't think it made anyway, it. by the time by the time everything is on the ground, the expedition leaders have chosen their campsite, a partial ruin, about forty yards away at the edge of the plaza. 
Within an hour, the cargo is moved under the hang- overhanging stone ceiling. The three oxygen sleeping tents are set up and the supplies are secured, though not unpacked. Pilot's inspection of the Weedle undercarriage shows that the damage is minimal. The aircraft's right ski is bent almost in two and must be straightened and reattached by the flight crew. This can be done within the next day. <laughs> Mum, it's funny. In the meantime, the camp must be finished and the surrounding area explored. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I explore. Are you exploring? Yes. Start with a more aircraft or a ground. Hi, Rube. How you doing? Hello. You said there's ruins and everything? Yeah, there's loads. There's a huge city. It's like 400 miles long. Holy crap, let's go upstairs. Find the nearest Walmart. That has to be upstairs. Yeah. What's, what's, what's on the plaza? There's a Starbucks on the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it came from originally. Yeah. I'm gonna find a so place with stairs. It's, it's not a Starbucks, it's a star spawn. Hell, hell. I'm finding a place with <laughs> stairs. And I'm going up the stairs. Okay, we're exploring. Hold on. Let You're me tell really you where you are. <laughs> 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 we're exploring. He said we're exploring. <laughs> Let me just tell you where you are. And okay. then we'll stop from the care. A place with stairs. <laughs> um. Where are, are you? Yes. Are you Your aircraft are aground at the eastern edge of a broad crescent of level ice, 550 yards across. This was once a great circular <coughs> plaza, surrounded by great edifices. In its centre, a tall tower once rose. Five broad avenues radiated outwards to the other parts of the city. Aww. Today, the tower is gone, collapsed long ago into an enormous fan of masonry and stone. Of the original structure, a broad, low mound projects about 20 feet out of the ice. In the centre of the mound, a circular pit, 200 feet across, Drops 60 feet to an icy smooth floor strewn with rubble. Are you climbing to the top of the mound to have a look? That's probably the closest thing to climb to. Yep, I'll climb that then. Okay. You climb to the top of the mound and look down into the pit and are treated to the view of a broad spiral ramp which sweeps smoothly down the sides of the pit, turning at the last out into the centre of the circular floor. Low rounded arches rim the bottom of the pit, making many choked with rubble. Between the archways and along the sides of the ramp, deeply incised murals can be clearly seen. Found an art gallery. Having read the Dyer text, this is indeed the ramp-rimmed pit explored by Dyer. Bad. Bad. Very bad. This is how he entered into to reach the underground. How he entered to reach the underground sea, he talks about. There's stuff down there. I don't have to put my head in the lion's mouth to believe the lion exists. Yes, you do. That's why we gotta go see that stuff down there. About half of the plaza, to the north and west of the central mound, are choked with rubble. Beyond the edge of the old cleared space, tall slanted buttresses of dressed stone still rise more than 80 feet off the ice their deeply weathered sides sturdy enough to resist the years. Here are ruins are large and tightly packed together, a once broad passages choked and impassable. The east and south sides of the great clearing, however, are still smooth and relatively empty of fallen stone, leaving an arc of open ice almost 600 yards long. The ancient remains of the city's structures on these sides are small, well-worn and low to the ground. Southern and eastern avenues are clear as well, easily travelled by explorers. Starkweather's camp is made along the plaza's southern edge, between two clear avenues, in a small open chamber with partial ceiling. During this time, the air crews, including any investigators acting as co-pilots, 
examine their charts and logs with slide <laughs> rules in hand. They want to know whether it is possible to return to safely if the hurricane winds through Dyer's Pass do not die away. They conclude, after some discussion, that if the winds do not abate before the oxygen runs low, it might be possible to fly to safety via the coast, 500 miles northeast to the shore, 200 miles along the coastline, and then doubling back along the other side of the mountains to Lakes Camp. So let's do that. <laughs> right now. <laughs> A risky undertaking, there is no fuel reserve to speak of, but worth it if necessary to save the lives of the party. The meteorology set contains pilot balloons to determine the strength and direction of the winds of the, uh, above the city. Radio communication within or from the city seems to be impossible given the atmospheric conditions present. I'm going to go test that theory out. Um, I'll be back for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, be right <laughs> Wait, wait, I got him. I got him. Punch it! Ned, Ned's plan is, rather than risking the whole party, he'll take one plane down around the bottom coast and back up, and he'll come back with some fuel. <laughs> Before he's in fly, I'm shooting at him. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Starkweather, about 1.30, Starkweather presents his plan, and then we can wrap up. No, this has got to be no. I think you know, he says to the gathered team, we've made our names. We can all write our tickets after we get back. Okay, let's go. We've all got a bit of work to do first, though. Let's look for interesting scenery. I'll take Mr. Miles here with me to pry off some sculptures and such in case we have to leave in a hurry. Can't have too much hard evidence. Uh, now, can we? Professor, would you please uh, get as many photos as you can? Jenna, you may help if you like. Um, we should all be back here in eight hours or so. Right there. Starkweather the makes no mention of safety measures. He does not institute or even mention any kind of buddy system, though he has no objection to people travelling in groups. Uh, anyone with polar survival are aware that such precautions are vital. I've got quite a lot. Yeah, Jenna, that Sykes in kind of thing. mutters something about buddy system. In the pit, there's stuff. Go down there. <laughs> okay, hang on. If the subject is brought up to Starkweather, I assume you're going, <coughs> buddy system. <coughs> Very well, he says. Can't Suit yourselves. Fortunately for him and for others, most of the places the party will be exploring are underground or protected from the wind. Okay, yeah, very good. Starkweather is eager to be off. He strides away with Miles in tow. Our buddy up with Tracy. There is little left to do to ready the camp, (laughs) since all the indications these ruins rarely, if ever, see heavy snow. Mo breaks out the stoves, serves a light meal around, and reminds anyone that the party will be sleeping in two shifts. First sleeping shift goes to the aircraft crews and to himself, and Mr. Starkweather, the second, um, goes to the remainder of the party. This can be changed later if desired. In the meantime, the business of the expedition can begin. No one ought to leave the camp for more than one or two, um, for more than an hour or two at a time, says Moe, for James Starkweather can do as he pleases, as always. Who survives the adventure? Hmm? Who survives the adventure? That's yet to be seen. Oh, no, I want to know that. I'm going to stick with them for the buddy system. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming you lot are sticking together. That would be good. Or splitting into two groups to be eaten by Shoggoths quietly. <laughs> yeah, okay, if we split into two groups, it's going to be them two you know and us two. We're going to go like insane and come out and murder the party. <laughs> They're the uh, no, when you come out, we'll be... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't yeah. say yeah. it because I thought we were allowed to talk about it. All right, we can wrap there if you like. That will wrap you on the ground. Rock'em, sock'em, Shoggoths.
Giant albino penguins. They're in here somewhere. I've got stats. I've got a stats for a giant blind albino penguin. Don't ask. Giant level armed momentum man. Look, look at Howard. You're in the city. My God, you found the plot. Woohoo! Let's kill it. How many pages in? How many pages in is the plot? 170. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> 170 What's pages. What's it like to, to have done 170 pages of an adventure? Nothing. Eh? It's like watching a Tarantino play. <laughs> where I've lost a character and gone insane. It's true. Two of you are quite close to breaking. And I'm the close. other rest of are quite close actually, to running. Yeah, are what are you at? Lindsay, what are you at? I'm rolling it, right? Oh, I'm at 17. Oh, no, just roll. No, no, you're good for not rolling. It's, just, it's, like, it's, like the, it's so frightening linear, though, isn't it? There's just bits where you can do stuff, and then there's long tracts of traveling. Yeah. I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very tempted to like... like you want us to roll, and then you say, okay, and, and just tell you. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I noticed somebody mentioned on the forum, I can't remember who it was, because it was ages ago, mm-hmm. was that, well, you could, you know, you could go off the plot, but we can't really. You're in the Antarctic. <laughs> what can you're, we do? We, well, can, no, we can ignore unlike, our orders. Unlike most other... Cthulhu Adventures, you're working for someone else yeah. who is actually there telling you what to yeah. do. In most others, it's like Grand Uncle Bob summons you because he's dying and says, go and seek out this mysterious thing and then or he dies. you find the house and there's a sound in the yeah. basement. Yeah, that's sort of thing. You investigate, but in this, you can't really investigate because this is the point where you start to do it. And up to this point, you're essentially part of a team, yeah. and if you and run we, off on your own... We're in the we background. Either, yeah, somebody could die. We told, which is what we're supposed to do, yeah. or we can go against it, which not only just makes us look like gun home... But also it could end up with somebody dead. But we're going against our... We're playing orders, Cthulhu. So this is going to end up with somebody well, dead. appropriate measures would be taken by the people, you know, <laughs> trying to boss us around, so... It's going to be me. The point being is you've been employed to do the job. Yeah. Only yeah. at this point now, where there's just you and more who knows what's going on, plus some of the guys who flew the plane... Do you actually get a chance to investigate? Yeah, and it's 170 pages into the adventure. Because Ape's and about to Niedermeyer said, Look, you need to go here, find these people, yeah. and good luck. Well, a lot of and them, then jump to A the lot of Cthulhu. I mean, if you. Masks of Malathotep is a great adventure. And it literally is you investigating from the very. Except the very for that arbitrary 1D100 uh, sand loss. What's that for? Seeing. Seeing Nalathotep. Yeah. There's lots of that, so you see him in various forms. Yeah, but that's. But in, um, most. I think that anybody that hasn't played this game has realised quite how much you don't have a choice in doing. There's a lot of there's a lot of you have to go because yeah. you you are travelling, you're journeying. Uh-huh. We can choose. I mean, we can instead of being railroaded by him, we can say, oh no, we're just going to. Well, here. then you but wouldn't then have gone. In, but then yeah. you wouldn't have gone in the yeah. first place, and you can't very much walk off into the ice, can yeah. you? Exactly. Yeah, but there's nothing point, to investigate other than where you are. Yeah, it's dark weather and more. But at this point, you have a whole city to look at, so you should be okay. Yeah, we should be yeah except for you've got the, the rationalizer, point. the psychotic, the pilot, and the guy that doesn't want to be there. <laughs> I'm going to the tallest point so I can get a better sniping position to take out. Sniping everybody. position. <laughs> you realize bullets won't kill them. I just I wanted to make that point. I made kill that. the Germans. I rolled a two. Yeah, yes. <laughs> what for? Can we learn skills? Can we we can do skills next turn. Unless you want to do them now. No. Skills next turn. Hang on. All right, yeah, Skill rolls. Yeah, we're at a graduation tomorrow in college station. Yeah, because i got four things I can learn. Okay. Biology, biology. I mean, uh, Lindsay's sewing teacher's son. college. i got five. Who's also a role player? Incidentally, oh. and needs to travel from College Station to role play with us sometime. And he has actually considered it. He has considered it. What we should do is run a one-off and invite Colin to play. I've got a. Um, 
woman I'm seeing that wants to try role playing. You have a woman you're seeing repeatedly, actually. That's his worry. With my history, me seeing women is not, you know, a surprising thing. Me seeing uh, one repeatedly. Yeah, we read your blog. Yeah. <laughs> I see women all the time. Are you a jiggle boy? No. I, 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 I am a serial monogamist. Okay. Old I just had an ex-girlfriend try to, you know, try to embarrass me. Like, look, I know my sins. They are legion. And would you like to me to, you know, like, well, you did this, this, and this. Would you like me to finish the story? Because I haven't seen you in ten years. I'm turning off now. Okay, baby. Bye, all. Bye, Bye. 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 Bye